having psychic abilities. My source would be the book, it was written a couple thousand years ago, and, and it's in, in totally in Sanskrit. But it's written, there's four books written in Sanskrit. The second one talks about the abilities that people can develop due to spiritual development. And these are all side effect abilities. And these include things like invisibility and teleportation and other things like that. And so maybe these beings, the little people, Bigfoots that are probably descended from Gigantopithecus, I can't pronounce it right, who was a giant ape that lived many thousands of years ago, and other cryptozoological animals have acquired these abilities over thousands of years. And maybe that's why we, we can't find all the evidence for them because they are able to hide it from us or they are able to transition between dimensions in ways that we can't do. And so that, those are some of the thoughts that come to my mind. When you, it's called the, the, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. That's the book. Patanjali wrote, wrote these Yoga Sutras a couple thousand years ago as a summary of a lot of these the spiritual development practices in India and the side effects in book two as a result of those spiritual development practices. You can find the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali online in multiple translations. It's like I had been in a dream for the previous couple of years. And from that point, I always felt like I had total consciousness. Then we have an iron mask of a face. This one's fairly recent, which was found in the coal sea. And it gives you an idea of what a face may have looked like on a being 300 million years ago. It looks kind of like a very heavy set face. And it looks almost human, but not quite human. It's amazing how many people I've talked to, for instance, about prophecy or premonitions that will tell me their stories that they've never told anybody else because they're afraid of being laughed at. And so there's just a lot of experiences out there people are afraid to talk about. Hey there, Fire Tribe. Oh, how, how, how are you doing on this wonderful day? Oh, goodness, it seems, uh, seems the 
seasonal tides are are giving us gifts. We are definitely flowing through the seasons. Winter is doing its final bidding. And we shall see the spring soon enough, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rising from the Ashes. I'm happy to bring this interview with Martin Ettington, a prolific author, a fantastic gentleman, and uh, and a great conversation. Diving a bit deeper into some of the Druidic mysteries and the ancient Celtic mysteries, parallel dimensions, time, voids, and the such. A little podcast housekeeping, everybody. If you would uh, do me a favor and join us on the Telegram group chat, that's where we hang out. That's where we do a lot of the, um, the off-the-air chatting and sharing conversations, stories, and all of the good things, my friends. Go join us on Telegram group chat. Tell us what episode you're listening to, how you found the show, uh, and you're bound to make some new friends. It's amazing. Definitely go check us out. We just breached 200 people in our group, so it's a it's an amazing family. If you want to support Dan and I on this on this journey, on this path of podcasting and finding guests and diving deeper into holes, rabbit holes and researching all the things, you can join us on Patreon for 3 bucks a month. We have massive amounts of content over there and always putting out new stuff dan has a brand new show solo show where he's diving deeper into the mysteries of the bible with a couple other awesome hosts also definitely check out our merch shop we have some awesome designs we have like a lot of stuff on the merch shop (laughs) There's a lot to choose from. Coffee cups, stickers, water bottles, backpacks, yoga mats, t-shirts, hoodies, shorts. They We even have like cool swim shorts. So um, if that's your vibe, you're trying to be out here getting ready for the spring, for the summer, go and get yourself a pair of RFTA shorts. Do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. also want to let you guys know on Sunday, next Sunday... One week from when this episode is being posted, and if you're not catching this on on that day, obviously that's 100% okay, but on Sunday, the February 5th, we are going to be doing something new on our YouTube channel, a live stream, live action role play, where we have a panel of six podcast hosts and different researchers that are going to be participating in a live action role play game it's going to be pretty much a free-for-all and we are um going to take a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of hits and plays and rolls of the dice from the audience so it's going to be a really fun time it's going to be our first time doing it but not the last for sure we're going to build a universe there on the uh, on our questing journey and it's bound to be amazing we have Alan Marcus from the Weaving Spiders Welcome being the, the what we're calling the Dragon Master, the DM, right? 
So come and check that out next Sunday, February 5th on our YouTube channel. Links, all the links, our merch link, Patreon link, YouTube link, Telegram link. It's all in the show notes. Just go right down below here and give it a clickety, clickety, click. And you know what? You might as well subscribe because we have other fun Sunday slow burns on our YouTube that you guys can check. Now, one thing before we go into our RFTA news segment, and yes, we have Adam Stokes back in with us today, author, teacher of Latin, you know him, he's been on the show plenty of times, he's one of our best and uh, friendliest uh, (laughs) RFTA news field researcher, that's what we like to call it. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys about my friend Sabias Ogard. She just signed back up for school. She is going deeper into her trainings. She's already trained in bodywork massage for over a decade. Psychic and clairvoyant work. Psychic hygiene. She is so amazing that she's just like, I can't stop studying. So, she's back in school. And what that means is she's only getting better at what she does. I have weekly sessions with Sabaya. Getting different types of like oral cleaning, oral readings, um, chakra readings. And she really helps me feel so much more grounded after our sessions. Um, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. You'll start to yawn and maybe even some tears will come out. And like, you really feel like there's energy being moved within your electrical body. It's fantastic. She does it remotely. You can do this over the phone, and I know what you're thinking. How? How could that even be possible? Psychic work over the phone? I don't ask. I don't even ask questions anymore. Life is so mysterious, so wonderful, that I just don't even, don't even ask questions. I just feel it. I just feel it out. So if psychic hygiene is something that you're interested in, definitely go and Check out our friends at Biosogard at visionswitch.space. You will not be disappointed, friends. And she's going to give you a discount because you listen to this podcast. Just tell her that RFTA podcast or Homie Romy or Dananaki Dan sent you over there. All right. Well, now that we got that stuff out of the way, without further ado, let's dive in to a segment of RFTA News with Adam Stokes. What's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to Rising. From the Ashes, I'm Danny Naki Dan. I'm the homie Romy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Today we are happy to be back here again with Adam Stokes. It's been a while, Adam. We missed you, man. The people have missed you. Yep. How I missed you, you guys doing? too. Aww. I'm doing good. I missed you guys too. It's been been kind of busy time. So mm-hmm. we just started yeah. again our uh, semester at the school I'm teaching at. Um, so it's a continuation of the last semester. So they have like two. So we have three to confuse the hell out of you guys. We have like three <laughs> semesters and our second semester, two weeks of it is before winter break. And then the rest of it is after. So all the projects and stuff that kids, the kids have, that the students had, 
uh, before winter break are starting to be due. And so everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. <laughs> it's just been like a really, really busy time. But uh, it's great to be back. Um, I, 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 I've missed you guys. And uh, I think this is going to be a really, really cool year. Yeah, I agree. I yeah, agree. There's a lot of uh, anticipation around this year. A lot of people are are gearing up. I just want to ask you a question, a teaching question about being a teacher, um, yeah, because it's it's such a glorious glorious situation, you know, as a job to be able to be a part of community and be a part of people's lives and and watch yeah. these kids grow up and develop um, into their into their full blossom. Uh, but is there is there any students that you've ever had that have just absolutely blown your mind? Is that a thing? Like in a good way or a bad way? <laughs> Hopefully in a good, good way. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of students. Like where I'm teaching at now, um, so it's like a, it's a, it's a boarding school, uh, really uh, kind of high-level boarding school, and the kids are amazing. The students are wonderful. They're nice and sweet, you would think, because like they're, a lot of them are super rich. You would think that, school. you know, they would oh. be kind of, you know, snobbish, but they're actually really, really cool there. They're really, really nice, and, you know, they know their stuff really well. And so the students I've had the past couple of months have kind of have definitely, like, blown me away with their knowledge of Latin, with their knowledge of the ancient mm. world, and they've really forced me to be kind of on my P's and Q's, you nice. know, in, in teaching the Latin language. Um, so I've been really impressed by them. Um, I think that they're, bet they're better than, you know, a lot of uh, – the students I encountered, even myself, when we were in college. So, you know, these are like sophomores wow. and juniors in high school, and I think they're already ahead of the game. And they're like writing freaking like academic term papers and stuff like that. So journal yes. papers and stuff like that. So yes. um, I'm really, I'm, I've really been impressed by them. That's awesome. There's nothing better than a teacher having to stay on their toes when it comes yeah. to challenging students. Like, that's really great. I mean, you know, for us, like in the in the podcast realm and, and esoteric researchers, it's like, you know, we were just saying, I was like, we need to brush up on our hieroglyph, our hieroglyphic symbolism. We need to brush up on a lot of this because, yeah. you know, when you're looking at a lot of this uh, um antiquated text you know we only have uh so many people translating things out there sometimes it takes a really long time to, you know to get things in into an english version and it's like we just need more people turning and burning yeah. it before they all get digitalized and you know yeah. you know, and all I of think that about one of my, happens i think you hit the nail on the head roman i think about one of my favorite texts the gospel of judas and they mm. found the gospel of judas like in the 1970s or 80s but nobody, there was like all this, like uh, all of this debate over, you know, who owned the manuscript and all this crap like that. And so it didn't even get translated until around like 2006, 2007. So wow. um, almost 20, 30 years later. Wow. So that happens so often. So, yeah, we, we definitely need more people and more people to be on the P's and Q's. Um, I heard, I've heard people talk about the Gospel of Judas. Is the Gospel of Judas like a, a real gospel? Is it has, has it been certified as a real thing? Real thing, yeah. Uh, by yep. by like re religious academics and what? Well, it's, it's a Gnostic text, so um, oh, you know, okay. of course, Orthodox Christianity is going to say Judas never wrote it, but mm -hmm. it's written from his point of view, and um, it's really and we it's know not so that nice. it existed because the Church Fathers, um, Irenaeus, um, and others. Uh, complain about the gospel of Jesus and say, oh, it's a false gospel. So we know it existed. Um, and then people actually found the manuscript years later in the 1970s and 80s. Wow. It puts oh. like a little bit of a different uh, contextual 
uh, like feeling though to like who Judas yeah. was though, right? Yeah. So, so it makes Judas like the one. So Judas betrays Jesus not because he hates Jesus or is this bad guy or is possessed by Satan or anything, but he knows that if Jesus dies on the cross, all mankind will be saved. So he's kind of like the hero to of fulfill, the, the story. Yeah. To fulfill the prophecy, basically. Exactly. He knew it. It exactly. had to be done, and he had to be the guy that takes the fall for yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Uh, well, Adam, what do you uh, what do you got for us today, man? All right. So speaking of European relics, um, I will apologize here. I know you guys are trying to stick with the uh, English, uh, the British Isles, and the English area. This is going to be slightly next to it. So I have something from France. Um, if that's oh, okay. That's, that works. Right. Yeah. So, um, I might've told you guys this. I don't think I did. When my wife and I were in Marseille, there is the chapel of Marseille. And in this chapel, no joke is a relic. They basically have the freaking body of Lazarus from the new Testament. Um, what? if you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, um, and they have yeah. a freaking skeleton there, like a skeleton is like right there. But if you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, Lazarus is the guy that Jesus raised from the dead in yeah. uh, the Gospel of John. I think John chapter 11 or 14 or something like that. Um, apparently, there is a tradition pretty well founded that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, he didn't just go around celebrating that he was back alive, but he went west like a lot of uh, the ap- apostles and uh, early church members. So Joseph Arimathea, Mary Magdalene, you know, they went to England, but Lazarus... Um, apparently went to uh, what's now France, uh, the Mediterranean area of France, Marseille, and he founded a church there. So this church and the Christian tradition in Marseille traces itself back uh, to uh, Lazarus. So after he was risen from the dead, he became an apostle and went uh, and went uh, westward into Europe. But it was kind of cool to actually like freaking see his like a skeleton there, um, which is this holy relic uh, that wow. is venerated. Uh, by by the people of Marseille. That's a big deal. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I did not know about that. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll send you pictures as well. So uh, we took pictures and stuff. Yeah, like that. but it's pretty cool. That's crazy. Wow. But what does this uh, church of Marseille look like? It's a super old cathedral. Um. So you know the funny thing is, uh, Dan, when I'm in Europe. I, you know, it blows me away because everything there is really freaking old. So this church goes back a couple thousand mm-hmm. years, actually. In fact, it's so oh, wow. old that they have underneath the church is this whole archaeological dig that's going on. I kid you not about like these early Christian catacombs. So this thing is super old, which Ooh. supports the tradition that somebody from uh, early Christian times came and founded uh, Christianity in this area. Um, but it's a beautiful church. It's super freaking huge. So you can you could walk through this church for like at least an hour um, and walk around it. So really, really huge, um, absolutely beautiful church, uh, typical European design, but an enormous, enormous cathedral. And it's on the top of, the, of a hill in Marseille. What is, uh, Do you know so, when it was founded? I think third century CE. It's really old. Okay. What are some of the other uh, uh, stories with with Lazarus and uh, and some of the other like reasons why he was like venerated in the way that he was? Yeah. Um. So we have 
you know, there's kind of a play on the Lazarus story elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke. So there is a poor man named Lazarus um, who is uh, who competes with this rich dude. Um, and so they, they both die. Lazarus, the poor guy, the rich dude die. The rich dude uh, goes to hell and Lazarus goes to heaven. Uh, so this might, biblical scholars have said this might be a play on the actual Lazarus because the actual Lazarus was like super rich. Um, and apparently, um, according to some traditions, he gave up all of his money, all of his wealth uh, to the church and to be an apostle. Um, but he was, um, we know this from uh, the Gospel of John and also uh, kind of uh, from biblical archaeology that where Lazarus lived, we, there's like a basically a Roman villa. So he was super rich at a time when most people in the Palestine region, Palestine was ruled by Rome, uh, but most of the people were impoverished and in poverty. Uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, were, were very, very wealthy. But he seems to have given that all up uh, to become an apostle. So it seems like he kind of has this, uh, like almost like a, like a double life or like a double path in this, in yeah. the, uh, in the book. That's kind of interesting. Uh, and then the, would you bring him back from the dead in the Renaissance? That was called necromancy. Look, you know, isn't that yes. funny how we kind of like change, change things and, uh, you know, and, uh, that was there, there, yeah, very I, much so. So it's, it's like condemned in the middle ages, but yeah. this, this goes way back. So Elijah, one of the prophets in the old Testament, um, he's staying with a widow and the widow has a son and the widow's son, I think he like falls out of a freaking window or something. I don't know why he falls out the window, but anyway, he dies and Elijah brings him back to life. So, um, this is something that people have been doing for many, many years. Um, there's a really good book. I don't know who wrote it, Freddie Silva or Bruce Fenton, but talking about the resurrection tradition in, in Egyptian religion and how basically the embalming of the pharaoh was because they took such great care of it because they had this, uh, basically this secret occult art where they could bring the pharaohs back from the dead. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so it, this has been going on for a long time. That was just uh, doing yeah. There's a there's a picture I found on the internet where it shows Lazarus uh, like wrapped in bandages or like swaddling. Mm -hmm. They said uh, kind of almost looks mummyish, but then it has yep. like the mm. uh, the the halo thing behind his head still. And so yep. it's, it's very like a it's like a holy mummy almost. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, he becomes he becomes a saint in the Catholic Church. I know that. And I think in the Eastern mm. Orthodox Church as well. That, that's yeah, a said super even symbolic a story. Bishop. Sometimes they uh, uh, call him a bishop. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So he he becomes ruler. He becomes bishop over the Church of Marseille. Yeah, crazy, interesting. And the mummy wrapping is kind of that's from the Gospel of John as well. So when he rises from the dead, Jesus says, "Unwrap him, let him go." He's the first rapper. Yeah. <laughs> That's that that does. Well, you can yeah. see the funerary practices of the Egyptians and Israelites were very very similar. Yeah, I was gonna say Even exactly. The didn't actually, yeah. a body. Yeah. Yeah, and like that's like you know they whether or not they were like waiting for like a celestial catastrophe or something to happen where they would, yeah. uh, I've heard in some circles that they would be able to wake up themselves or. You know, after they thought after yeah. a certain amount of time that they were just going to be able to 
um, to get their body activated again, which is like, I mean, sci-fi has taken that into a whole other level as well with cry and uh, with some of their versions of like cryogenic freezing and things like that. What do you what do you believe, what do you believe yeah, yeah, in well, that on a scientific level? You think we'll ever get to that point? I think we'll get to that. I think you know what I think we'll get to first is like That's making better. a digital app, like a real freaking digital avatar of ourselves. Yeah, and being able to put our, our thoughts and our minds in that. Years ago, um, seems there cheaper, was probably. this is before uh, all this modern technology, but uh, when computers were first starting out, I don't know why the hell they did this, but they grafted basically the 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 brain energy of a serial killer onto like these floppy disks. It was really, it's kind of crazy. But if they could do that back in like the 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s or something like that, you know, I think in the next 20 or 30 years, we'll be able to do that. The show, um, you guys ever seen the show Caprica? Um where no. they basically Africa. put a human brain, like a human uh, brain into like a robot and basically you can like live forever. Um, I, I think that, mm. you know, I think that's kind of around the corner. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, I'll yeah. definitely have to get into that. I always love me. a virtual world in which you live forever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the metaverse. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. I feel like we're, we're just we're scratching the surface on that. Uh, Lazarus, man, that's such an interesting story. Now that we're kind of like just letting it sink in a little bit more, such a symbolic story and seems like such an important, uh, you know, like, like, like many characters in, in the, uh, in the Bible, it's like, they have these, these almost like mystical, uh, stories about them. And then we find them later as like very physical stories. Like this can very easily be a physical person, but then again, it's almost like there is you're walking these two worlds of like half of this stuff is happening on the conscious realm or in this other yeah like it's it's so interesting so you know obviously like a lot of these things we 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 take physically serious but uh i wonder how, how much of uh how many how many ways are there to interpret it you know is it symbolic physically? i think there's a lot you know I, you know, that's the same. That's the exact paradigm I think that the Gnostics had towards a lot of this material. So the Gnostics would mm. say, well, you have a very literal historical account of Jesus uh, in, you know, the canonical gospels, but then you have this esoteric, uh, this esoteric uh, mystical knowledge that seems to be on another plane that, admit, that itself admits to be on another plane with these, with these other gospels, with these Gnostic gospels. Um, mm-hmm. So. It's funny because yesterday I was uh, teaching my Old Testament class at St. Joe's, and I talked about the literal versus the allegorical and spiritual meaning. Um, and, you know, you have that dynamic even within Orthodox Christianity, but in a lot of these groups deemed heterodox or heresy, you know, that that is definitely the dynamic. And I think that's a more true and accurate understanding of Christianity, even than what we get in Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just years of, I mean, how long have we been trying to decipher this, you know, like humans in general, <laughs> this text yeah. ever since it was, yeah. it's just, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so yeah. beautiful. And yeah, like the Lazarus first thing I typed in while I was over here on the computer looking up, um, there's like this story of the Lazarus and a crocodile. And I was wondering, uh, if you've heard or, or any reason why Lazarus is used as like a, 
in like taxonomy for any reason. If there's like any strange uh, or fun symbology oh. with that. You're like, yeah, that's when you like embalm like animals and stuff, right? Mm-hmm, well, I mm-hmm. guess the the whole point is to kind of preserve them, just like you know, you, you keep them alive to some extent, um, even though they're dead, but you've embalmed them. So I guess you know it's it's, it's a parallel to Lazarus. Oh, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Yeah, makes sense too. <laughs> uh, yeah, if my cat was still around, some part of me would have liked to have embalmed him. You know? Oh yeah. So, yeah, I've said that people people are like, "What you want to do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." I would have I would have totally done that, but my my cat's like, "Yeah, we just put him to sleep and you know buried him." So, but I, I freaking love that cat. Was it a fluffy cat or a short hair cat? A tabby, yeah, short hair mackerel tabby cat. Oh, mackerel tabby, nice. This this is that that Lazarus uh, trying yeah, to find probably, probably based on yeah based on uh, you know. Oh, the the rep the reptile. Yeah. Hmm. Fun stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, the you know, there's in uh in a lot of the antiquated art, there's crocodiles hanging in the alchemist lab. Um, they'll have like a crocodile hanging up. Taxonomy was a big thing, you know, back in the day, and especially in like al- alchemy and um. Horticulture, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like also just uh, archety- archetypally, you know, and also a lot of these animals, different fluids and things like that would literally be used for scientific experiments and things. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, fun stuff, fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Are there, uh, well, how I'm wondering when you, uh, how, how do you, uh, segment your year when you're teaching Latin? Like, do what's like the deepest most interesting text that you've got to go into with some of your students, some of your more advanced students? Yeah, well, we're looking at uh, Catullus right now, who is an ancient Latin poet. Um, And he does a lot of cool things with grammar and syntax, but he's also kind of raunchy in some ways. So he does a lot of, how can I say it? Um, sexual metaphors that you don't really pick up on unless you know the language really well. Mm. So pointing those out to students and uh, trying (laughs) to, um, you know, tease some of that out of Catullus um, is really interesting, but it's just, it's fascinating. He's an amazing, he's an amazing writer. Um, He speaks a lot. um, He uh, references a lot of contemporaries that are famous in Roman history, like uh, Caesar and Cicero um, and others. Um, but uh, his writing style is is really, in some ways, there's an esoteric sense to it. Like you have to decode it, and when you do, it's like you're like, oh, this is really cool. So, mm. um, he's uh, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty he's pretty neat. And uh, the students and I have been like kind of uh, traveling through his poems uh, for the past couple of weeks. Oh, that's super cool, man. Yeah, you get to voyage. Awesome. Voids down all the areas. Syntax is an interesting word. It's been coming up a lot lately. Uh, and then I started thinking about it. I was like, is syntax really like, is it just perspective? You know, is it, I know there's a form to syntax. I think it is because, because to the Latins, you know, there's no such thing. Or if you tell, if you speak to a Spanish person to say, you know, I like the syntax of your language, they'd be like, no, that's no, there's no syntax. It's just the way we speak it. So yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think so. In this area right here. Yeah. Or else it's just ever evolving. Yeah. 
that's, yeah. that's beautiful. Dan, what you got going on over there, bud? Looks like you're digging up something deep out of the out of the cave. Well, uh, I, I was listening to that Upa uh, uh, book uh, by Martin Ellington. Oh, the and, outer uh, place. Uh, there was something in there called, called yeah, the outer place artifacts. There's something called the. Uh, I was, see, I was trying to look up the name of it. I think it was called the Cooley Stone. And I was wondering if Adam had ever heard of it because what the Kulu stone was talking about was that like uh, a a group of uh, like Egyptian Hebrews basically came over to not just a group, but like all 10 tribes of them came over to America. And there was supposedly the stone that they found that said all this, but they said it was a fake. Interesting. I, I need to look that up. I don't know if I've heard that. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I was. I was trying to look it up uh, to see if I could find it. Um, I think it was like the Cooley Stone, or at least that's what it sounded like. Uh, I, it's getting read to me by a robot on a PDF. Uh, it's like a PDF reader, yeah. and so sometimes the robots don't know how to pronounce things the right way. I'll look it up. I hadn't heard about that, but I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, this is the first time I heard about it too. So. That's why I was like, I wonder if uh, Adam knows about this. Do you remember hearing about that, Roman? Because you listened to that book too, as well. Uh, yeah, I was I was more specifically looking for all the lost bells that were in it. Uh, but by the way, it is Martin Ettington, not Ellington, and that is the oh, episode that Eddington. this intro will, will be uh, attached. No, it's good. I did the same thing because it's two T's where two L's would called? be. Um, it's. Do you have it open, Dan? What's it? Has an interest? The Encyclopedia of Out of Place Artifacts. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we just had this guest on Martin Eddington. That that he goes through like this will be on, and uh, he's got a bunch of. He's got a swap. I think he has a hundred and thirty books or something like that. Some crazy number. (laughs) Oh wow! Yeah, Um, all on pretty interesting. Like he. He does everything from ancient Ireland to the Fae to parallel dimensions and then into like yoga and like stuff. And then he, then he has this out of encyclopedia of out of place artifact and it's really well, like it's, it's great. It's not like super crazy dense, but it has all these really interesting artifacts and that's really good place to look for things like, why was this found in the Ohio River River Valley, you know, when it has, yeah. you know, and it just, it helps put a lot of things in, um, in order like that. What's a, what's an out of place artifact that, uh, that, that blew your mind? Ask me a question. Yes. Yes. Sorry. That was directed at you. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, my favorite one will always be the Los Lunas Stone uh, in New Mexico mm-hmm. with the Ten Commandments right there in New Mexico. And you can't really deny it. People try to say it's a, ho- it's a hoax or a forgery, but it existed. It, um, according to Native American tradition, it's been there a very long time. So that is, that's probably one of my, that's probably my favorite just out of place artifact. Yeah. Yeah. That one's mind blowing, huh? And like the way it's located, it's, it's so. Yeah. It's like the way it's wedged into that that rock, and or uh, it's got like the it's got like a slab on top of it. Oh, super cool! Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it's looking awesome like uh, the the Lazarus cathedrals too are like very lavish. Wouldn't the the lavish and Lazarus kind of like have like the same etymological tie together? It's a lavish cathedral. That's true. Yeah, labyrinth, Lazarus. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'll send you guys pictures of that. The the um, cathedral in Marseille is very very impressive. But uh, yeah, I'd love for you guys to take a look at it yourself. Sweet, will do. Well, this yeah, is, that'd be awesome. This has been fun. Uh, do we? You have any uh, any plugs you want to do? Any any more fun stuff uh, to let the people know what's going on with you, brother? Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, I'm in the process of creating some websites where um, I'll uh, talk more about you know ancient civilizations and giants and stuff like that. So I'm in the process of doing that. I have uh, domain names I purchased, and I'm you know I'm, my my next my big project in the next couple of months is, is working on those. And I'll keep you guys posted about that. Nice. But just a way of kind of going in a different direction of of sharing uh, kind of uh, this this knowledge. Well, we love that. Sweet man. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, I'm gonna find out what this stupid stone was called. <laughs> And then yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let you know too. because <laughs> I really, uh, I really want to because I mean, like I, I read your book, and that's kind of like the premise of the book is the the, the hybrid Hebrew and and African, yeah, yep, kind of came to America. But yep. interesting, this this stone says like all ten tribes left to America. That's why they think I think they think it's a hoax. Because uh, they don't think that, but I think it was found in like uh, Arizona or whatnot in uh, one of those uh, like caverns in in the canyon or something. Fascinating. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. There's a lot of hidden history in the Grand Canyon and in that area. Yeah. So uh... <laughs> we'll have it. We'll have it for the next one. Actually, yeah, we should definitely do. Uh... I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll try to each bring uh, an out-of-place artifact or something. That would be pretty fun. Good conversation. Sounds good. Sounds All right. Good. I can do that. Sweet, man. All right. Well, Adam's going to be having some websites coming out. That's it's going to be awesome. You know, we're going to always put those uh, links in the show notes so everybody can just go and click and see what's happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, until next time, it's been a pleasure and an honor, as always. My pleasure. So good to see you guys again. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. My pleasure. See you soon. Cheers. All right. Hello, Fire Tribe. Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Danny Naki Dan. On the homie Romy, hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello to you too. Today we are here with Martin Eddington. How you doing, Martin? Hey, Dan. Good to see you. Roman, great to see you too. Hello, hello. Um, I when I when I see your name, I want to say Ellington, but uh, <laughs> it's Ettington, everybody. Ettington with two T's. Um, right. Foley, uh, do do you get that a lot? I I kind of uh, selfishly. I get people misspelling it a lot. 
some people misspell it with two D's like the scientist uh, Arthur Eddington from a uh, hundred years ago. But yeah, oh. it's ETT. Thank you. <laughs> is he a, is he a prolific hmm. character? This Arthur Eddington? Well, he was a well-known scientist. In fact, I think he was the first person who validated Einstein's theory of elect of, um, theory of relativity. He went to Africa and did uh, telescopic observations of an eclipse, which showed the bending of light around the sun. And this was one of the first, uh, first scientific evidences that relativity was a real phenomenon. Wow, that's pretty significant, I'll say. Yeah, just looked him up, mm -hmm. uh, just quick Google and found out he's a pretty famous astronomer. So that's right. pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny. These, uh, you know, looking into looking into history, which we do here on this show, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's all these names that kind of get um, kind of get like dispersed, but they come from very similar family lineages. Uh, I wonder right. if uh, if the Eddingtons with the T or the D come from a a singular bloodline, maybe back over in actually, Europe. Actually, well, actually, the name was changed a hundred years ago from Eitingon, which was in Eastern Europe. My grandfather, who came here as a twelve-year-old through Montreal, uh, joined his uncle, and and the name was changed to anglicize it more. So it really has nothing to do with the English. Uh, English name. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so this, we, we, we topic our show on themed months and themed seasons. And mm -hmm. we were going into Sumeria and Egypt just before we entered our, our paranormal months. And what we were finding a lot of ties to was ancient Egypt to ancient Ireland or Scotia. Mm -hmm. Scotland. And so we decided to put the first part of the year um, heavily into ancient Ireland and Scotland. And obviously the 12th day to Nan comes up and the Druids come up a lot and your, yes. your books are incredibly prolific. And so uh, when we found you, we were like, this guy's got a lot up the alley of, of what we're going to be talking about. So that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan, you got any starter questions for for our fellow guest here? I mean, yeah, man. Uh, well, first of all, like, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, because you, it seems to be pretty ingrained in your own history, uh, Ireland and whatnot. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. I know you've had some uh, experiences, um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of give us a little yeah. bit about who. Martin is. Sure. So not going into all the details, but I'm originally from Western New York State, being born in Corning. My dad was an engineer. My mom a school teacher. And I became an engineer like my dad, went to a place called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. But in parallel with that, I also was very interested in this paranormal and spiritual enlightenment Things. So I had a mentor in college. His name was Sam Lentini. He's since passed, but he was a blind psychic physicist. And he what? had he taught a course of meditation. This is like 1973. And I took it and helped him with it. And I also learned how to open my crown chakra. You're familiar with chakras. 
and learn yeah. how to take in energy. So my life has been a combination of working in the technical community, mostly in IT, in big major Fortune 100 companies, and in my evolution spiritually, because I believe that paranormal abilities are a side effect of spiritual development. And then about 14 years ago, I decided I wanted to write because I felt I had a lot to contribute to people. So I started writing and it evolved. I started writing a lot about paranormal experiences of mine, a lot of them to do with prophecy. And then I wrote about uh, spiritual development and enlightenment. I've had a couple of enlightenment experiences and it kind of branched off. And as a result, I, start, I, I consider myself kind of the out of the box author. I like to write about a lot of topics which are unusual and weird and I give them my analytical perspective, which a lot of writers don't do because I have this engineering technical background, yet I've had all these subjective experiences in my life. And instead of rejecting them, I try and figure out how can they fit within the context that people in today's society understand. And so then I've written a lot about aliens and UFOs, my perspective on them, longevity and immortality, some interesting stories there. Legendary beings, which the Twatha did not fit under, ancient history, time and dimension. So that's how I got into all this. Now I have probably 140 books I've written. I self-published them all. Don't forget Although the out of the place artifacts. That's a fantastic yeah. book of yours. That I, everybody oh, on this you. show would be very into Martin's book, Out of Place Artifacts. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I find it pretty fascinating too. I've written several books on the out of place artifacts. It's a fascinating subject because the, without going into too much detail, because it's not our topic tonight, the, uh, the idea that there are intelligently made artifacts from not only many thousands, but some of the millions of years ago makes people mm. scratch their heads because humanity didn't even exist when some of these things were created. So that leads to all sorts of questions. If not humanity, who made them? Were these intelligent dinosaurs? Were they alien giants? We don't really know. But uh, it's a fascinating enough story to me that I've, I wanted to write about it. And I've, there's several trends in that you can get into. It's just a really cool subject. Yeah. Can you draw up a few of those upas? Uh, yeah. Let me, uh, let me get into a table of contents here so I can... Let me get one for you then. My my favorite one, just to ask you, is uh, the Anderson Bell. That one blew my mind uh, because I I ha we're doing this other project that is dedicated to the history of bells and resonance and why do bells play such a huge importance in our culture over the years and Eastern societies, architecture shaped like bells, all of these things. Um, and then when I read in the UPA, mm -hmm. uh, the Anderson bell that it might be millions of years old. I was just, I was baffled. And, and, uh, and yeah, so I was, I was really hoping to ask you about that and your thoughts and opinions on it. Well, that's of course a very interesting one. In fact, I found a sequence of items about 11 of them and I'm finding more all the time. They were all from about the period of 300 million years ago which was even before the age of the dinosaurs. It's the previous age. 
And all of these items were found in rock strata or coal seams. And I'll give you some examples. Like there are wheels found in the coal of a coal mine. I'm talking about spoked wheels with an outer rim and spokes going out. And it's a real wheel. You can see the imprint of it in the coal mine. Metal? Or don't, I don't really know if the metal's there, but it's, it's outlined in the coal. It's not a natural artifact. Oh, like a fossil. And then there, there, I don't even know if it's a fossil. It, it, well, I guess maybe it is a fossil because the coal seems to have replaced the original wood in the wheel. Wow. Then we have an iron mask of a face. This one's fairly recent, which was found in a coal seam. And it gives you an idea of what a face may have looked like of a being 300 million years ago. It looks kind of like a very heavy set face. And it looks almost human, but not quite human. Uh, hmm. Let's see, another one is a golden, there were several golden chains found in those. And it's just, a, it's just an incredible thing that you can actually categorize the date of these items. And there's different groupings of them too. So what it says to me, and I wrote a whole book about this, is that there were likely were some types of civilizations in different periods, many millions of years ago, of which the only things left are these ruins found in rock, strata, and coal. And think about it. Take our civilization. What would things look like a thousand years from now or 10,000 years mm -hmm. from now? It's estimated that a thousand years from now, most buildings would be in ruins, except for maybe concrete. 10,000 years from now, not many things would last. Maybe the Hoover Dam. If you go 100,000 years, the Earth is going to be totally remade by that time. There's going to be hardly any relics left from our civilization. And so if you're talking millions of years, the only things you're going to find are those in stable rock strata or coal mm -hmm. seams. Mm -hmm. So it just, it just goes to say that we would not find evidence of many things from that long ago, except for these few things that are well-preserved. Wow. Look, can I ask you a question too about, you know, this is, this has popped in my head. <laughs> uh, what is, what is your uh, findings of honey? Have you found that honey is something that you come across in your studies? And I, and I asked that only because when I was looking into, you know, ancient Egypt, um, finding that some of the embalming uh, liquids in, include aloe vera, some of them include honey, and I know that that was a big part. And we know that honey can last for thousands of years as well. And I was wondering, did, did Druids use honey? Was that sacred to the Druids at all? I don't know if it was sacred to them, but I know that they, they must have used it because it existed then. <laughs> the Druids is a really interesting subject. Of course, they're one of the races that supposedly evolved from the Twatha Dedana. And Druids did not keep a written history. So the only information passed down from the Druids was done orally from uh, teacher to student. And the, the Druids, if you look at their history, have a lot of the same, the same holidays and a lot of the same practices that modern witches do. I think it's fair to say that modern witchcraft takes a lot of their history from the Druids. Like there's there's a lot of uh, there's a whole sequence of 
celebrations that the Druids had. And these are things that are parallel to the rites and rituals of modern witches. The Druids also were supposedly able to have paranormal experiences, and that's part of why they're known. But we don't know enough about the Druids. We do know that the Romans had experiences with the Druids, and we don't know how much further back they go. Uh, I like to think I have some ancestry in regard to that because my mom's side of the family was Kirkpatrick from Northern Ireland. And my mom actually had a lot of paranormal abilities, but she didn't know it. Can I relate one story about her? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sure. Please do. So when, we, when I was being raised in the small town of Painted Post, New York, next to Corning, this is a, the mid-50s, my mom disappeared into a mental institution in a hospital for a couple of weeks. And I didn't know why at the time. I didn't know why for many years. And then she came home and she seemed to be okay. And I finally asked her like five years ago, mom, what was the whole reason for this? Why did you go there? She said, well, I started seeing bright lights around people. I started seeing auras around people. She didn't know the word aura, but I explained that's what it was. And she went to, to her doctor who couldn't tell her anything. She went to her minister who couldn't tell her anything. So she thought she was going nuts. And so she checked herself into this place. And people that can see auras obviously have a lot of paranormal ability. So she came by it naturally. But it wasn't until I explained to her what this was and how common it is that people can do this that she really understood what it was all about. So I, I think maybe some of my abilities, and I can see auras, and I have premonitional abilities, uh, probably came from that level of ancestry. So did she have any ancestors who were druids? I don't know. Maybe. But there's, there's obviously a line of genetic history, as well as the practices people can learn, that determine whether they have some of these abilities or not. So I'd like to think I've got some alignment with the Druids historically. I wouldn't see why not. Um, that That's funny. The Kirkpatricks are a big family in the town that I grew up in. They, uh, mm -hmm. the, they have like a old private um, healthcare. So like, or, you okay. know, like a, like a doctor's office. And I grew up with uh, one of the Kirkpatricks in my grade and his father was really nice. And they're, oh. they're, they're beautiful people because they, the the big peace health hospital in this town this terrible tiny little mm -hmm. you know town full of drug addicts um kill more people than they save a lot of times right unfortunately but this hot this mm -hmm. this this practice of the kirkpatrick's they will actually help out a lot of the local people that have um huge addiction issues and i f i find it to be rather beautiful and it's cool to to know that that's like a big family over in northern ireland i just found that to be pretty interesting and um right you know, that natural yeah. healing ability maybe no, that's, that's cool if you look at the history of the name kirk is the irish word for church and patrick of course relates to saint patrick who uh, brought christianity to ireland so maybe there's some interplay there but uh, my ancestors came over early some of them i understand on that side of the family were 
on the Mayflower and definitely in the Revolution. So uh, Kirkpatrick's, yeah, I'm proud to come from that uh, lineage. Wow. That's fascinating. Now, uh, do you want me to talk about the Tuatha de Danann? Oh yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so can okay. we let's give a little let's give a little background for him, Dan, so he knows knows where we're coming from with this. Um, so Dan has been doing some studies yeah. on the tribe of Dan for quite some time, and his name is Dan. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. I kind of want to give Dan the floor on this, so just so you kind of see where we're coming from and, and the <laughs> theories that we've been building on the on the show here. Okay. I mean, yeah, uh, we've been, uh, so I've been studying that. And then, uh, so one of my first questions is like, do you think like the tribe of Dan from uh, like the Bible is the same as the Tuatha de Danann? Because there's a lot of uh, kind of controversy over like, maybe they might not even be the same people. Uh, I honestly don't know. I don't know if there was any relationship between them, possibly. I mean, did any of your ancestors come from the British Isles? Yes, mine did. Uh, from, I have a whole descendant chart, and uh, I come from Charlemagne. Okay, cool. Yeah, the Tuatha de Danann are one of the one of only two peoples that I know of who claim to come from elsewhere, from the underground. The other one mm -hmm. is are the Hopis, whose legends are that the people came up from underneath the earth where they lived. And the Tuatha yeah. de Danann said they came from the other world. And the other world, some people interpret it as being, you could go through fairy mounds and find them deep underground. But the other world, from all the descriptions, seems to be another dimension. And there's some interesting stories of people who went to the other world and came back that relate to that. So when I was writing about time and dimensions, and I looked up a lot of stories of people who claim to have dimensional transference. One of the stories of people who visited the other world is that they would go in for what they thought were a few days, and it turned out to be months or years. Now, that's really interesting because if you think about it, time could well run at a different speed in another dimension. I mean, a lot of scientists, they think there are probably, mm -hmm. there's probably a multiverse that exists and other dimensions. We don't have any direct evidence of it except for these stories. But it makes sense to me that the Tuatha de Danann did come from the other world. They had supposedly a lot of their mounds, the fairy mounds were ways to access their world. Uh, they, they, were, they had godlike powers. And they supposedly gave rise to the race of druids and leprechauns and other beings, the fairies. It's, it's a really fascinating group of people. And there's a whole history and mythology about different figures in the Tuatha de Danann and wars they fought and things like that. But I think it's really fascinating. It's, it's really the only culture you can find, aside from, again, stories from the Hopis, where this whole panoply of beings from an advanced race came to earth and said they came from another dimension. It's just, it's just really fascinating. It's, it's fascinating too, to tie 
kind of some of these other lores of these ancient cultures and where they might have gone because they vanished. And there's this spiritual component of ascension. And, you know, what we there's not a lot of evidence of ascension either, just like there's not a lot of evidence of, you know, these multiple dimensions that may exist. But is that because, you know, we're specifically being led uh, astray from that? And, and yeah, sorry, I was getting I was getting hot. I had to take off my sweater. Oh yeah, no, it's getting crispy in here. We're we're, you were saying we're, we're spicing up the spicing up the meat up in here. Uh, so I was saying that uh, you know, is there any connection between these different cultures that say they come from the underground or another dimension, and the vanishment of cultures and the talk of ascension? I don't know, but I'll bring up another anomaly. You know, of course. The stories about Bigfoot and Sasquatch, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Smelly guys. Well, well, I've when I was doing research on that for my book on Bigfoot, I found that there was a graph showing a Bigfoot sightings in North America going back like a hundred years. And there's actually been thousands of sightings all over the continent. Yet it's very hard to pin that down. And some people also say when they meet Bigfoot, they seem to have paranormal abilities. So and if the idea occurs to me, do the Bigfoots have the ability to go between dimensions themselves to transition back to other dimensions? Or maybe that's where they came from. And maybe other, other legendary beings like uh, firebirds and uh, other things, dragons, and then there's another one I'm looking for the name of. Maybe they have the same ability to transition between dimensions because we have many, many sightings of all these things that seem to be valid sightings told by people that are not drunk and not on drugs. And this, these are things they really saw. Yet we have trouble finding any evidence of them. When you talk about Bigfoot, there are some people who say they've found crude huts that Bigfoots might have slept in. But where are all the bodies? And where do they, you know, there's lots of information that's unknown about them. So this makes me wonder if there's a dimensional thing going on here with cryptozoological animals, as well as like the Twatha Dedan. And is it the same dimension or is it another dimension? We don't know. All over, all over Earth. What? Hollow Earth? Yeah, Hollow Earth is yeah. another thought. There, there's some stories about Hollow Earth. I did a book on that, and some of those might relate also to other dimensions. What was your, what was your was, findings on believe... the findings on the Hollow Earth? I didn't see that book in the in in your vast collection of writings. But what what, what was your kind of big takeaway on on doing the research on Hollow Earth and looking at these different cultures? That's a good question. I think that people have lived underground in many places on the earth. I don't think the earth is hollow, but I think there are caverns. different large caverns where people have lived over periods of time. And that's where a lot of these stories come from. A lot of the stories talk about explorers who found these caves and they found all sorts of treasures in them, but then they 
either couldn't find them again or they disappeared and nobody knows what happened to them. So I, I did want to say about why I didn't believe in dimensions and now I do. Because oh, that's interesting because I don't really believe in dimensions. It's right. a weird thing for me to like wrap my head around, I guess. But yeah, this. so go for it. Okay, so again, scientists, physicists think there might be a multiverse. In other words, multiple dimensions. But we haven't had any experiments to prove they exist or don't exist. But I did a study of dimensions several years ago which led to, I think, one of the books I sent you about people mm -hmm. having stories about traveling between dimensions. And these are s sober people. I look for patterns. When I find a pattern mm -hmm. of a series of stories that all say the same thing, I tend to believe it's real or there's some re element of reality to it. So like one typical story was some girls who were out driving, I think out near San Bernardino at night, and they were on a dirt road, and then it suddenly switched to a paved road, and they found a diner where there were not people, but beings in front of the diner that weren't human, and some types of strange-looking cars. And they kept driving, and they turned around, they went back, and then they were back on the dirt road, and they couldn't find it again. So... You know, there's lots of stories like this. Of a multi-dimensional diner. <laughs> yes, people have, people have had strange things happen to them, and they can't explain how it can be. I was talking to a guy who did a different interview with me a month or two ago, and he said that he and his family were driving up in the Northwest, and they saw this diner which they stopped at and ate. And the prices were all 1950s prices. And everything in the diner was circa 1950s. And then they left and they went and did whatever they were doing. And they tried to find it on the way back and they could never find it again. It no longer existed. So there's lots of stories like this, of people who find a place and there's a lot of strange things going on that are different from our home universe and they obviously came back otherwise they couldn't tell the story so these things to me all set a pattern saying that there are multiple dimensions I, I go by the stories that you can research that people tell about what happened to them they're not crazy people and they're not crazy stories and then you get into these whole things about the Twatha de Dana and the Hopis and the stories of inner earth people yeah. And so it says to me, there's some reality to this and I could never prove it. I don't have the evidence for it, but in my view of trying to look at for patterns, that's why I tend to believe it. Yeah. Uh, my opinion, that's the, yeah. My opinion of the other world is that the other world was America. And so like the, that's why there's so many mounds here. And uh, mm -hmm. that they, uh, when they battled in the battle of the, the mill, the Molessians, when they went to Ireland, uh, they ended up beating the Tuatha de Danann, and the Tuatha de Danann went underground and took the underworld. <clears throat> so I think that maybe there's some, uh, because the Tuatha also connects to the Duat of Egypt, which is the the underground. 
So mm -hmm. there's many stories about them being, you know, kind of under the surface and maybe, maybe time reacts different underground or something. Uh, maybe that's why they like it because they can live longer because I think in the stories of the, in the Bible of the tribe of Dan is <clears throat> they're kind of not, they got kicked out of the tribes. Uh, so they don't, they don't get that immortality that the other tribes get. So they're constantly seeking that immortality. And by living underground, they could possibly have that somewhat immortality because they live longer under there. I, I, I associate a lot of these um, <clears throat> ideas too with uh, celestial movements. Uh, that's why I think astrology has played a huge role. Like, obviously we live on a planet and this planet is in space, wherever we're at. And everything else, just like our own body, has effect on our outside surroundings and whatever's happening. And so our Earth is similar to that in the sense that it's going to have different energetic emotions and, and things that happen through the astrological movements. And um, magnetism is something that is still kind of tantalizing in science just as gravity is right we have these ideas mm -hmm. and these big theories that are real big and a lot of people backing them but they're still just like you know are we going to slam the hammer on this and say this is exactly what magnetism is and we know where it comes from this force so i i associate a lot of these things and i think dan what you're saying with that like i think a reason why people might be able to have this like longer lifespan when you're um in the in the earth even without sun a lot of times is because there's minerals and magnetized energy from like the the energy source of the planet and so like the speed of vibration so that that brings me to another thing of um well first of all w do you know where these diners were located like where in the country i'd have to look up the story but i think it was in the northwest where this this one was found. Oh, interesting. The other one I could think was outside San Bernardino. So uh, there's obviously a parallel chain of diners in another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> so now, crazy. Are they on roller skates? I don't know. Are they on roller skates? When you talk about underground civilizations, the thing that comes to mind is the underground city of Derakuyu, Turkey. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Derikuyu is really fascinating. It was found by accident several decades ago when somebody was banging on a wall in their cave house and it opened up the whole access to Derikuyu. It's like 13 levels deep. It was an entire city and people can tour it. So we know people lived in some underground cities in the past. Derikuyu is mm -hmm. a really good example. And we don't really know how old it is. We've some had people um, thinks it goes back. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say some people think it goes back to the Middle Ages. Other people think it's many thousands of years old. And there's other places like that, underground mines and other underground tunnels that just don't make sense unless you look at them as being art of originally artificially designed. Oh, yeah, because they're. The, I mean, it's just immaculate details, right? A lot of these subterranean. Uh, places there we've we've had a guest on the show karen mutton who is an australian writer and she's she's written some books um and one of them being subterranean realms 
unfortunately the audio on that episode was very very shoddy we're gonna hopefully have to get her back but there is a lot a lot of cultures and especially okay. in the east where they um where they had like very high detailed underground like cities like the, the, the it, imagine like the amount of time it takes me to carve a wooden spoon thinking about carving Little out Johnson. walls Lowell Johnson. Oh, and <clears throat> we had a fellow guest on also Lowell Johnson who, oh, wow, that, that is a great point, actually. He, his story is that he was basically sitting inside of a, you know, rocks structure kind of cave-like thing in Mount Shasta. Against a mountain. Against a mountain. His back is here. And then he gets up uh, as his, like, cell phone dies, a battery's drained, gets up turns around and then a wall has a door has appeared in the wall just seemingly out of nowhere yeah i was just going to mention mount shasta as a matter of fact that's a great story there's several stories about strange things under mount shasta or underground cities under mount shasta have you ever been to mount shasta i have not i have yes many times many times okay one of the things that's pretty cool there, I don't know if you went to the park where there's this underground spring that comes up in the park. The headlands. It's like an underground river. Yeah, the underground river that comes up from Mount Shasta into the, created a little stream at the bot at the base of Mount Shasta. And there's also a lot of stories of UFOs going into Mount mm-hmm. Shasta. So I think there must be something going on there. There's some, too many stories about it. Well, and, and yeah, Lil said that he got taken down into Telos, and he was uh, convening with these beings that were down in underground, and they gave him pretty much, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, but ad- admiralship, I guess, or something like that, where they gave him uh, the ability to go and tell people about what he saw and to try to help people rise up to the next level of consciousness because these beings that exist underground are seventh dimensional beings and uh we on the surface are only like three or four dimensional and there's a You're talking a, about a admiral bird admiral bird no and his no trips? no i'm not uh, i just said admiral because they gave him like uh <laughs> I, I, like I said, I don't remember the word, word that was the closest that came to my mind. Um, uh, the, he's an ambassador. Uh, you know, as a, as like, he was ambassador. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Lowell, you know, Lowell it's, Johnson, it's interesting. Admiral Science. Bird is cool. I love Admiral Bird, though. That story is amazing. I was going to say that uh, biologists have found it's really interesting how deep life goes into the earth. It turns out that there is life miles deep. Nematode worms and other microscopic life lives in the rocks. We can find it in some of the deepest mines. And when they've been drilling into the sea bottom and they do cores that go thousands of feet into the sea bottoms, they still find life in those cores. So it says to me, there's probably, that that is the repository of life on Earth. If the surface life was destroyed by a large asteroid or nuclear winter, there would still be life residing inside the Mm. earth, which would eventually repopulate it. So life is much more abundant than we think. And 
you can talk about Earth, Gaia being really alive because of all this incredible life that exists inside the Earth. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, if we can uh, kind of segue, uh, we had Laird Scranton on talking about Scar Bray, and uh, Scar Bray is seemingly uh, a little people uh, type of spiritual uh, institute or uh, a place where people learned magic. And seemingly these little people were the ones that inhabited the area. Uh, there's some other people that talk about these little people and their extraordinary powers. Um, you go into quite detail about the little people of Ireland. Uh, and so I was wondering if you could give us a little bit about the little people of Ireland and what, what are the types of little people that there are uh, and so on. Well, there's uh, a lot of little people all over the world. In fact, I think one of the books I sent mm -hmm. you was titled yes. about the little people, fairies, elves, dwarves, and leprechauns. Yeah. Yep. And they, they seem to appear all over the world. In fact, in Indonesia, the bones of Flores man, who were three feet tall, which is a type, which is the size of many of these fairies or gnomes were actually found and they were dated 50,000 years ago. But a lot of the people who live in the area said that Flores man sightings occurred all the time so that they may still be alive. And if you look at Ireland, you've got the leprechauns, you've got other little people, you've got a lot of stories about leprechauns and fairies. It reminds me one time I took a family trip to Ireland, North, and it was for my stepdaughter's wedding. This is probably more than 10 years ago. And the woman who was hosting us took us to a park that was created by a famous author. I'm trying to remember his name. But you go into the park, and it's all incredibly green. And I'd never been in a park like that before. And you can actually imagine that there must be some type of beings that were living in the woods of these parks. And of course, a lot of people in Ireland build these little tiny houses. And I saw some of them, which are like, I don't know, a foot or two high and they're proportioned houses. And supposedly they do it for the fairies or the leprechauns to be able to sleep in. <clears throat> so there's all sorts of stories of these beings all over the world it makes me wonder if there was a race of beings like this that existed, and maybe they still exist. Again, it makes me wonder, not only talking about the Bigfoot and have them having some spiritual abilities, but maybe these, these little people have spiritual abilities too that allow them to transition mm -hmm. between dimensions or allow themselves to become invisible. If you think about the evolution of people thousands of years in the future, people will probably acquire a lot of these abilities, which are rare today, but do exist. Uh, again, I go back to spiritual development has a side effect of having psychic abilities. Mm. My source would be the book that was written a couple thousand years ago, which is, and, and it's in, in totally in Sanskrit, it's, <laughs> my mind is slipping. I'm trying to remember the name of it. 
But it's written, there's four books written in Sanskrit. The second one talks about the abilities that people can develop due to spiritual development. These are all side effect abilities. And these include things like invisibility and teleportation and other things like that. And so maybe these beings, the little people, maybe the Bigfoots that are probably descended from Giganthopithecus, I can't pronounce it right, who was a giant ape that lived many thousands of years ago, and other cryptozoological animals have acquired these abilities over thousands of years. And maybe that's why we, we can't find all the evidence for them, because they are able to hide it from us, or they are able to transition between dimensions in ways that we can't do. And so that, those are some of the thoughts that come to my mind. When you, It's called the, the, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. That's the book. Patanjali run, wrote these Yoga Sutras a couple thousand years ago as a summary of a lot of these the spiritual development practices in India and the side effects in book two as a result of those spiritual development practices. You can find the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali online in multiple translations. Mm. And what is usually you find is you'll find that the Sanskrit words, you'll find a phonetic translation of it, then an English translation of the phrase, and then there may be several pages of commentary explaining each one. But it's, it's a source that's I've written a lot of my books based on about the paranormal because it shows the structure of paranormal abilities that become active when people spiritually develop. So I have a question I'm off, off regarding. The, oh, no, 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 absolutely, that's beautiful. Uh, it's it's that's, right in, it's right in point. It's also an important book to bring up because if you know thousands of years ago, the it just shows us that we're always uncovering things that have always been here and truth about ourselves and how to optimize. But a lot of talk I hear, you know, there's so many there's so many different takes on the Tuatha Dé Danann and the Druids and and the fairies and the leprechauns. And a, and a lot of uh, stories I hear that line up with each other is that the Tuatha, when they receded into the land, that the Fae that we consider the Fae now are the Tuatha, like kind of presenting themselves, maybe as fairies or leprechauns and such. And that's why there's association with mounds. But sounds like you might separate the two and they might be different entities. Also, I've heard things about that, you know, leprechauns weren't small, tiny little green guys. That was like a christianized version almost a bastardized version of the leprechaun so what's what's your take on on that are they are they together are they separate uh in your findings and your research well i think the word fairies is sometimes used interchangeably with leprechauns but the stories do seem to be different there's also stories about dwarves which tend to be more germanic but they were they all agree that they were mostly small statured people. And some of them had different spiritual abilities. And, and this is what makes them fascinating. Because if they could hide themselves or they could grant wishes and things like that, maybe those, those abilities are real. Mm. But they're things that modern science frowns on as, as being ridiculous because it doesn't fit with a paradigm. Mm -hmm. 
But if you look at the evolution of beings, the Twatha Nidana having been a very advanced race, evolution would say that we also evolve spiritually. And then as a result, we have a side effect of spiritual abilities or psychic abilities that become available with time. I'll give you an example of that, if I may. Mm. Yeah. So when I started spiritual development practices in college, I was probably no more than 19. And I learned how to meditate and how to take in energies. I had a number of different experiences, but they tended to fall prominently into the area of premonitions and prophecy. And I had a lot of those experiences, some of which saved my life. Oh, wow. So those are also things supposedly that the, that the Druids could do to see the future. Because I believe the future is a future of probabilities, and some probabilities are more likely than others. But these abilities become available to you when you start becoming spiritually developed, which means you're centered in your spirit, not in your ego. And uh, the analogy I like to use is you're talking about a goldfish bowl. And if you put a light inside the middle of a goldfish bowl that's full of water, and there's lots of sand and dirt on the bottom, you stir that up and the sand and dirt obscures the light bulb. But if you're able to learn things like meditation, how to center yourself, all that dross, all that dirt and sand falls to the bottom of the bowl. And this allows the light to shine out. It's a crude analogy, but the whole idea is once we, we start becoming spiritually centered, it opens our ability to perceive things in our environment, in our universe, that otherwise we would not perceive. And this is where I think that premonitions and prophecy comes from. I know in my life, it saved my life a number, number of times, and it led me to seeing world events before they happened. So I obviously believe it's real. I've written a couple of books about it. And I think that this must be a common thing that these beings have learned, that they can see the future, that they can choose different paths to go on. So I don't know if it's totally relevant, but... <laughs> These are yeah. some, some of the things that I think these beings have developed that allows them to get along in their society and to avoid mankind. Also, invisibility. There are techniques to make yourself invisible. I've learned some of those. Minerals. And What? You've learned some of them? You can make yourself invisible? <laughs> yeah, there's a technique, for instance. There's a technique, for instance, where... You learn about energies. You learn about energies of aura and life force energies. And you can cover yourself with different types of life force energies, which makes you less apparent to the people around you. And there are stories, I, I haven't taken it that far, but there are stories of people yeah. becoming invisible to other people through this or by accident being in that state. Mm -hmm. One time in how college... Long, one time Sorry, in college, I lay I just... on my bed, and I was trying to practice one of these techniques. And the whole idea was to lie on the bed, get into a meditative state, and direct energies up to the ceiling, and try and concentrate the energies up there to become blue. Mm -hmm. And then you pull it down and cover yourself with it. 
And what happened is I actually started to see this blue colored energy on the ceiling. And frankly, it scared the hell out of me. And I, I, I fell out of the meditative state, so I didn't go any further. <laughs> but that's a whole sub, that's a whole another subject. But what I'm saying is I think these beings are able to hide themselves from us in different ways, whether it's the Sasquatch Bigfoots or whether it's the leprechauns and fairies. Uh, also, there's other the Thunderbirds. I've written about Thunderbirds. Cloaking ability. Those Thunderbirds may all... Yes, exactly. Now, aliens, if you want to talk about aliens, alien technology being thousands of years ahead of ours would allow them to hide themselves and become invisible on Earth. And I think many of them have become invisible and visited Earth. So that could be either done technologically because we're very close to that technologically, or it could be unspiritual. And so anyway, there's lots of permutations of this, but the basic idea is that the beings who we live with, whether they're of Earth or the other world or aliens, all have the ability to cloak themselves or hide themselves or have special abilities that what we call modern man doesn't have. What do you, because our science and technology is actually very limited. What's your opinion on um, the uh, the other? So there's this realm that we live in, and it's vibratory rate and state in this plane of existence. What do you think about other living entities besides humans and their potential role here and their potential spiritual abilities? Well, if you, if you talk about aliens... I believe that from my research, that, and I've never seen a UFO or an alien, first of all. I'm just talking about the things I've researched. I believe they've been on this earth for thousands, if not millions of years. They may have actually had a hand in the original creation of humankind. That's but the that story. Being the case, yeah, that being the case, they are so far advanced of us that we would we would be amazed and we would think that what they're doing is magic. I think it was Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer, mm -hmm. who said any sufficiently advanced technology would seem as magic to us. So these beings are so much in advance of us that they can visit the earth and we don't even know they're here. They can cloak their ships, they can cloak themselves, mm. and we, we only have occasional sightings, which maybe our military aircraft can take photos of and stuff, but it doesn't really let us see what these beings are really doing. Uh, so to touch on yeah. what you were bringing up earlier in your, uh, in your, because it just clicked on me while you said that the, the meditative practice mm -hmm. in order to, to, to do invisibility. Cause my mind was going to places with that. It's either you're, um, you know, you're aligning your, <clears throat> your state enough to like where people aren't going to notice you or there's a molecular change that can happen in your energy around you if you can manipulate your aura to whatever color that you want to emanate and whatever type of energy you want other people to read from you if you want to come off as fearful you will come up people people that are sensitive to energy will fear you they'll be literally scared if you want to be that be that yes. guy um, if you want to be the yes. happy guy. So I'm with the vision I got with that, because I've done some of these meditative practices with using colors, because it's a really great way to kind of start into that is to like try to mm -hmm. see colors. 
But I started thinking, I was like, well, it's manipulating the mo molecules that are around in the atmosphere because there's so many things in the atmosphere that we can't see, like electricity, like the Wi-Fi internet, like carbon, like oxygen, things that we're breathing in that you can't literally see. So maybe it's once you get the ability to, uh, which isn't easy, it's <laughs> obviously, but to, to affect your outside surroundings and maybe you create a literal force field around you that cr uh, allows those molecules to move at such a vibratory rate that they're able to cloak and shield around you, creating some sort of safe haven. Uh, yes, and maybe. <laughs> Speculative, of course. There, there's a lot of vital forces. A lot of this is a manipulation of vital forces, but it goes beyond that. It goes into manipulating the time stream or the dimensional stream. And maybe there are effects on the light around us and on different things in our environment that can be done mentally. And this causes these different types of effects. Like uh, I did a book on teleportation. There's a lot of questions about the ability to teleport, a lot of stories of people who have teleported. And maybe this has some. Reality. I mean, I won't get into the misuse of the idea of quantum teleportation because a lot of people misuse that term. Hmm. But it is an effect at the quantum level that maybe our minds can scale up to the physical level and use that in some manner to allow us to go from place to place. So hmm. I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot more... Mandala that we can do with our minds and our spirits than people think is possible. And we, we like to think of ourselves as a modern technological people, but we're really only using half our brain. You know, let me digress a second. A lot of people like to talk about IQs, right? Oh, this guy's a genius. He's got an incredible IQ of 160 or 180. And I say to myself through my own experiences, a person's intelligence is a lot, the, the, the capability of a person is a lot more than their analytical intelligence because we all have a spirit and that spirit is infinite in scope. And people who manifest spiritual abilities can do things that some intellectual with a high IQ could never even do or conceive of. So we are all beings with multiple potentials whether it's intellectual potential or spiritual potential, we all have the abilities to do a lot more than we think. And our society is really primitive. We think we're smart. We think we know how to do everything. We think we understand the world. But we don't. We only understand a small part of it. And there's a lot more outside of that that we can learn and we can explore. One of the things I, I meditate on sometimes, because I'm also interested in astronomy, I've got a lot of interest in the solar system and astronomy. And it was recently found in the last couple of years. How many galaxies would you say exist? How many galaxies do you think there are? Thousands. Infinite. Infinite. Yes, thank you. That's a good answer. They actually, scientists measured it recently and found there were at least 2 trillion galaxies. Think about that. 2 trillion galaxies, each one having 
billions of stars. So, and, and then I'll tell you, recent, more recently, scientists think maybe that's a low number. Maybe it's 20 trillion or more. So if you look at that and you look at the, the number of stars that may have planets and planets that have life, et cetera, then you're talking about something like 10 to the 26 numbers of beings, intelligent beings that exist, which is a huge number nobody can really conceive. So maybe somewhere in the universe, there are duplicates of each of us, duplicates yeah. genetically, maybe even duplicates in their society, which might be slightly different. So can our consciousness connect to those other beings who live in these other parts of the universe and commune with them? So sometimes what I meditate about is I meditate that I'm connecting to these other duplicates of myself mm. and asking questions of what are they thinking? What are they doing? Just an, just an interesting meditative exercise. But we live in an almost infinite universe. If it includes the multiverse, it gets even bigger. So there's a lot of things we don't know. One of the things yeah, I did I've in my that. one, of, one of the things I did uh, in one of my I, early I, books. Go ahead. Oh, I've heard that with like uh if you can connect to your other self in your other realm, you can uh you could learn whatever trade that you have in that other place too and come back with the knowledge of that and have it almost instantaneously mm -hmm. or if you speak a different language in this other realm you can bring that language back with you by connecting to your other self that exists right right a par parallel dimensional type thing yeah in my first book i did a diagram imagine three concentric circles the inner circle is blue. The next circle out is red. And the outside circle is yellow. And what the inner circle represents, the blue circle, is a circle of things that science can measure, that can say are true or not true. And it's a, it's a small circle. Then you look at the next circle out, the red circle. This might be the, the circle that are things we will be able to measure in the future. Or maybe we'll be able to use our consciousness consistently to measure things as a more sensitive instrument. And outside this, the yellow circle, are things that we will never be able to measure because we don't have the instruments to do it. Remember, science is only as good as the things you can measure. If you don't have the instruments to measure mm -hmm. something, you can't say if it exists or doesn't exist. Exactly. This is where a lot of scientists and engineers fall down. Because they seem to think if you can't measure something, it doesn't exist. Wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> because it all depends on the sensitivity of your instruments. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the instruments right. to measure something, then you can't really say if it exists or doesn't exist. And, and to get the funding and how science works in our world is like if you're an independent scientist and you're and you're doing things and, and you're making money, you know, like to create technologies, it, it's just cost a lot of money and a lot of time and energy. Mm -hmm. And if you're working for a specific organization, they're funding everything. So you need to get it approved. And, you know, it's a very slow process as is like, you know, doing like archeological digs and things, unless you literally take it up on your own and you're able to fund it and go specifics like that. But yeah, I think that over compartmentalized process is really what's dragging us down because in the true reality and nature of things, our ancient ancestors didn't halt the production of things because they couldn't 
you know, people couldn't afford to do it. They said, well, we know where these resources are, you know, obviously not unsustainably tapping into a resource to, to, to make something unfathomable and unsustainable, but it doesn't really actually cost any money to create anything. But, the, but it's a the part of the over-compartmentalization right. system that stops us from, you know, unless you're NASA and you're just getting unlimited funding, you know, but it's specific funding for specific mm-hmm. projects. Whole other t- side tangent, I apologize. Can you give me a minute to go to the bathroom? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can cut 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 this, hopefully. Okay. Bobby, yeah, yeah. Back. No worries, no worries. All right. Yeah, maybe we should uh we'll segue here into uh going into ancient Ireland after this. Like focusing on that. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think this is all good though. This is what happened uh with uh uh Laird Laird Scranton too, but it ended up tying all back together and putting the things together. So learning about like the spirituality aspect really helps understand like how these leprechauns or how these little people could be spiritual beings and have the gnosis to to do these things. You know what I mean? So I I think it's all fascinating. Uh, One thing that I thought about was when he was talking about the cloaking and stuff, the Tuatha de Danan, they say that they burn their ships uh, before they they got there and that they uh it was like a big mist or they came in the mist um so maybe what they were doing was actually cloaking their ships to make it look like they had burned but then sending them back the other way so people couldn't see their ships leaving okay Mm. i'm ready oh that's a good that's a good military tactic type of thing where that you would uh basically like say like oh no our ships are gone like they're like yes we defeated them yes but they actually cloaked themselves so they could safely get away like i know i've said this on the show since i started watching it but stargate atlantis kind of plays a lot into like the the ancient ancestors having cloaking technology and that's part of their ancient technology is cloaking so that kind of reminds me dan was saying oh well you you can go ahead and tell him sir dan uh, well, I thought about the Tuatha Dé Danann and how it says like they come in a mist or they they burn their ships and uh, and then uh, and then come in. Uh, so maybe they were actually cloaking their ships and then sending them out the other way because resources are kind of tight. You know, you don't want to have to build a whole fleet of ships again. <laughs> like it could take you a long time. So if you just cloaked them and then sent them back the other way so people couldn't see them anymore, it'd be a useful useful tool. Yeah, the Twatha Dodanan were supposed to be an advanced race. Right, they exactly. Were, so if they're advanced in there. Yeah. So maybe they did have ships. Maybe they came here from another place in space. Or maybe they transferred their ships from the other world and they came here and their ships from the other world. <laughs> I don't know. But an advanced yeah. race like that, imagine that they would have not only technology that's thousands of years advanced of ours but mental, spiritual, and psychic abilities that are yep. way advanced from what we have. So who are we to sit here and say it didn't exist? We don't know. We don't have the evidence. All we can do is speculate about it. And I guess my, I get on my soapbox a little bit, if I might for a minute, about people's closed-mindedness. People, you know, we, I, one of the reasons I became an engineer was I wanted to learn about what we know about reality, what human, human science and technology knows about reality. 
And I started off as a physics major and then later switched to engineering. And we know certain things. We know enough to build buildings and build spacecraft and have telecommunications and build an internet or biological sciences. But a lot of make assumptions about what they believe. And if something is like the paranormal or spiritual or aliens and UFOs, and it doesn't fit the paradigm of things that are fully understood and measurable, then they say, well, it doesn't exist. So you have a lot of people walking around with kind of a shell of what they believe and what they say is ridiculous that they don't believe. Now, I decided I didn't want to be in that world. I wanted to step outside that box. So I did. I stepped outside in a big way, starting with spiritual and paranormal phenomena, and then getting into all the things about OOPAs and aliens and UFOs and time and dimensions, is that the world is actually a lot more mysterious than we think. There's a lot of things that we don't know. And for us to assume that we know everything and what you don't know it doesn't exist, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. People need to be more open-minded about what is possible and what really exists or what could exist and look at everything from that perspective. So for me, it's finding patterns. If I can find 100 people who say that they've had interdimensional experiences then I tend to believe that they have. And, and the, the skeptics will say, oh, no, they all have mental problems. <laughs> well, you could say that about a few of them, but you can't say that about all of them, especially if they tell consistent stories. So these are the types of things that really set me yeah. off. On the other hand, it's a reason I'm able to be an author about out-of-the-box topics because most people won't take them on. They're too afraid of looking weird or unusual mm -hmm. to take the things, these things on. It's amazing how many people I've talked to, for instance, about prophecy or premonitions that will tell me their stories that they've never told anybody else because they're afraid of being laughed at. And so there's just a lot of experiences out there people are afraid to talk about. Do you think engaging yeah. in that if once, the, once those people... So it's like, is there another kind of common theme is that there's specific genes or genetics in people that allow them to have more um, open attunement to these different like either dimensions or psychic powers and then there's even a more elusive conspiratorial topic of that the elites are looking for the alien bloodline and that's why you know they're trying to get everybody's blood type because they know that there's a special genetic that allows uh people to tap into that um you know so and then you can go even further and be like they're trying to drink their blood but i'm just kidding of course but what do you what, do you, what is your opinion on By the way, um yes could i mention my website at this point absolutely plug away oh, yeah, sure. okay so my website where I have all of my books separated by categories of videos and information on each book and how you order them is at mkeddingtonbooks.com. That's spelled M-K-E-T-T-I-N-G-T-O-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. And again, I've got 140 plus books on all these different topics and you can read part, some of them or get a whole category of books and learn about a lot of these subjects. Anyway, when was your first book published? You. When did you uh, get, did you break the ice on that? 
The first one I did was actually in 2001, but I really started in 2008. And I've been writing steadily since then. So that's kind of become my, that's kind of become my profession these days since I'm kind of retired from engineering. Anyway, let me get back to your question. And your, mm-hmm. your question mm-hmm. was about, could you, re, could you repeat the question? Repeat the question. And basically, do you, what's, your, what's your thoughts and opinions on people's genetics uh, still like living? Do you think that there is like these, this bloodline that they talk about, like there being 12 specific bloodlines or we were curated or um, made from engineers, uh, p- potentially like alien engineers? Uh, and, and yeah, like the, you know, get the little people, you got the big people, the hairy people, what's your, what's your thoughts and opinions on, on, uh, those different types of genetics and their importance? Sure. Reality. I do think people have predispositions towards certain abilities, whether it's athletic abilities or paranormal abilities or abilities, you know, abilities to see the future. But I also think there's a large component of environment. I think like anybody can learn how to sense vital forces and even see some of their future potential through different meditative exercises. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility for others. But it's again, it's like anything. Some people have more of a natural ability to do these things than others. And it's all about exercising these abilities to have them become major events in your life. So I think in my own case, I'd like to think some of my abilities I got through my mom and she got them through her Irish uh, Celtic ancestors, but I don't really know. So I I think everybody, everybody listening has the ability to do a lot of these strange things. It's all about spiritual development and it's about the side effect of spiritual abilities or psychic abilities you obtain as a result of that. So can you can you paint us a picture of of what early Ireland looks like to you uh, and what um, this because you you got some uh, some great stories on Merlin and in your Druid book and I'm wondering uh, if you could kind of uh, tell us the story of Saint Patrick and drawing out these snakes and what you think the snakes are and were and what different type of serpent symbology lies within Ireland in the stories. Well, I'll try. I don't know if I have any great stories about that specifically, but the history says that the monk, uh, St. Patrick, was the one who brought Christianity to Ireland and that he also had the he also chased all the snakes out of Ireland. And that, I think, was in like the year 800 AD. And I'm sorry, I don't know a lot more about him than that. Uh, I may have written some things. I don't remember everything you write, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, because you get in a flow state when you're writing. And so, like, a lot of information comes. I, I definitely know that. Uh, mm-hmm. But what, But the snakes and, and serpents, you find symbology of these different things and looking at history you know not everything is so literal you know they're not really talking about snakes do you believe honestly i don't know i do know that the druids initiated a lot of festivals rituals herbal healing different alphabets 
trees. The Druids had a lot of things to do with different trees and how they could be used. They were very much woodlands people. And then, of course, magic. And they had a lot of they had a lot of the prophecies and premonitions in their lives, and they could use different tools to see those things. In terms of snakes, I'll be honest, I really haven't studied the snakes and how those were handled by St. Patrick. I do, uh, I know that sometimes the snakes are symbols used in Druidism, but I, I'll so? be honest, I don't know enough, I don't know enough about, well, the medical symbol of crossed snakes, that's a Celtic symbol of the snakes crossing, and it's used a lot in medicine, that symbol. Hmm. So yeah, I, I wish I knew more about that, but I, no, I don't no worries. know everything about that. No worries. Yeah, it just, you know, it's, it's a really famous story, and I feel like on the mainstream, like, you know, St. Patrick... We have an entire holiday dedicated to the guy, so you know when That's that sto when that story gets thrown around a lot, it's like people don't really know what to think. They're like, "Oh, he he made it a snake-free zone. Awesome, no snakes on that tiny island. I bet they were big pythons. I'm glad he chopped the head off of those snakes." Or is he talking about a lot of the vibe I get is like that there was um you know obviously more pagan rituals, more pagans. pagan things happening. Yeah, pagans and mainly matriarchal uh, a lot of the a lot of the kind of info i've been reading into is that there was a triple goddess uh worship of ancient ireland and the ancient celts had a um very high appreciation for the matriarchs and that when saint patrick was held prisoner as the story goes he was held prisoner there and there was a lot of uh <clears throat> women that uh were kind of like coming to check on him and and kind of treating him badly so he wanted to go back and uh enriched of those evil of those evil doers that those those snakes and demons yes the uh merlin is interesting merlin's name first arose it was i don't know if it was jeffrey of monmouth but it was like the year 1000 it was written about and he was a druid we don't really know if he had a relationship or not with King Arthur, who was more of the mm -hmm. sixth century person. Of course, I've seen most of the movies and TV shows about <laughs> King Arthur and Merlin. And of course he was also in Stargate Atlantis, right? So <laughs> I don't know, but it, it, the Druids certainly had all those abilities to, uh, to use for good or evil. I'll tell you an interesting story related to the Twatha Dodana, which you probably haven't heard, okay? Okay, okay. So let me get to the right, because I want to look up. Uh, hold on a second. All right. Yeah, I, like, I like your section on Merlin in the Druids book. It's really good. There's a lot of really good oh, juice there you. that I've never heard. So one of the gods of the Twatha Dodana was known as the god Lu, L-U-G-H. And the question is, was Lou real or not? Now, one of my topics that I've written a lot about is longevity and immortality. And back over 10 years ago, I'd written my first book on immortality. It was titled Physical Immortality, History, and How-To Guide. And I had an online discussion for marketing purposes 
where people could ask questions about the book. So about six months after I started this, I started getting a guy who was in Ireland. He said he was actually in Scotland. He lived in Scotland. And he claimed that he was an immortal that had been around for 2,800 years. And he had actually been known as the God Lou <laughs> way back when for 160 years. And if you look that up, it's a three-faced God. So he had a lot of stories, which I put into one of my books called The Commentaries of Living Immortals, talking about immortals on this earth, whether they are human immortals or demigods or gods. He said he'd met like 160 of them over his life. And he made a lot of claims. Of course, the thing about people making those types of claims, because I both communicated with him by email and on the phone, is how do you know if these things are real or not? I mean, if a person comes up with an antique and shows you, say, okay, where did you get that? But there's no way to prove you're really an immortal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he claimed he was actually recognized as the god Lou back then. Now, I don't know if he had a, what his relationship was specifically to the Twatha Dadan. Maybe he was an inheritor of their genetics. But he, uh, he claimed he was the god Lou and that he was 2,800 years old. Wow. That, the story of, does he have a story of like being a, a righteous king and, like, and, and winning some good battles? Well, I don't know about him being a king. He uh, said he was born. In fact, let me go to that page on my website because I've got some quotes that he made. Just a second here. Because uh, there's a lot of lot of beautiful ties. I, I'm really interested in the immortality Cal thing. Saint Germain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Saint Germain, um, and this this search for the fountain of youth and uh, the philosopher's stone is obviously a huge part in occult and esoteric studies, and um, that's pretty fascinating. So let me read you some of what he told. I'll read you some of what he told me. Stealth. He went by the name Stealth. Says he's over 2,800 years old, and he wrote, "Hi Marty, my small childhood was a good one, peaceful, happy. My mother and father were simple farmers, and my father was also a deer slash sheep hunter herder. That was very long ago. I was born in Tanay. It's named Elgin in Scotland, and it was about 812 BC. I used to live in a small house." with a wooden slash hay bed with brick fireplace slash walls and small kitchen area. They died young, my age being 17. They got sick slash hunger. They were 45 years old. The, the end of the Neolithic and start of the Bronze Age in Brittany. Back then in the early Viking era. Then shortly after, I was still a young immortal, age 20, they moved to Ireland and the new feared deity I was known as Lou or Lugus till age 160. And he also, there were a lot of other characters that came into this discussion that are mentioned in my book. I don't know if they were real or if he made them up, but something else he wrote that was really interesting. He said, one of the, I write down one of the most interesting comments that he made to me by the end of our emails discussion was I was the first mortal to learn all this in over 600 years. And I don't know why, but his comments always stuck with me and gave me a ring of truth. Mm. 
in terms of other immortals, here's some of what he wrote. I've met over 170 other immortals dating from 20,000 years old to 110 years old from around the earth. Gods are in another league. I've met 15 gods or goddesses. Most are Norse Celtic gods. There's at least 2,000 of us out of your 7 billion human beings doing the exact same as me, jobs, names, some still hide in the mountains and forests. So this guy had a lot of claims as far as having met other immortals or gods, demigods, and he told his life story. And then different people came in and claimed they were different gods in the book. So I, what, I've, what I write about it is, I don't know whether to believe it or not. If it's true, it's one of the most amazing stories in history. <laughs> if not, it's just a fascinating read. Yeah. So, but that's, that's my story. You know, that's super interesting. And it could even be like a potential of like him getting transmissions or downloads from uh, that entity that wants to speak through him, you know, like maybe these entities mm -hmm. like kind of are in these energetically high spots and they kind of download their consciousness into these vessels as they come through. We uh, talked to one lady who had kind of an experience like that, um, uh, that she calls a rainbow flying lasagna, which is her description of like this colorful, <laughs> beautiful Merkaba. Um, and right. I'm actually blanking on her name. Dan, do you remember her name? Aurora, Aurora. And so Aurora. she, she yeah. had died okay. basically. And like the doc, she was like on the operating table and she had died and then came back and felt like she was in a completely new body. And so, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of gives a little more credibility when it's like when it's hard for people to wrap their heads around the concept of like how can somebody really like how are their organs working you know um but maybe potentially it's like that consciousness gets into a physical vessel which would be really awesome and probably put a lot of credibility to the thoughts and concepts of gods and demigods in general like them choosing to go somewhere and needing that that vessel like that's that's a beautiful thing it gives it a lot of credibility uh lou is super cool and i love i like kind of i've looked slightly into lou as like a god and as a yeah, you cut out oh uh-oh you're cutting okay my oh. bad my internet is terrible here sorry you frozen up No, you frozen. Yeah. Uh, it, it, oh, shit. Uh-oh. There we go. Okay. What were we saying, Dan? <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the story of this Buddhist monk, this little kid who said he was like a Buddhist monk in a past life, and he had the recollection of his whole past life and said that he was reincarnated. Uh, so maybe like, though these people are gods or whatever, they don't necessarily have immortality, but they are keeping the memories of their lives that they had previous to their new one, and they're able to have and keep that knowledge uh, throughout the time. And that memory is kind of, is what's getting passed down for them to have immortality and not necessarily their body. That could be. I do think 
reincarnation does occur. And the only question is, why don't we know? Why isn't it more common? There's enough good stories about yeah. people being reincarnated to say that it's real. My own history is I remember from before my birth and being in my mom's womb and then being born. And I put that all in my book, uh, Memories Before Birth. So there are a lot of people who can who have memories that are beyond what's supposed to be possible, either going back to previous lives or before their birth or during their gestation and their moms. So this is actually fairly, fairly common. Again, it's, it's something that most people will not believe because we're not supposed to remember beyond our early childhood of like several years old. If we remember earlier than that, right. then we must be making it up, right? Yeah. Well, they thought this little this little kid uh, in, I, I'm not sure, Tibet or China, uh, was making up all of these claims. And then when they went back to look like he was 100% correct on everything he mm -hmm. was saying, and he was only like five years old. So they're like, how do you know all this? He's like, well, I've, I've came back. Uh, but oh, right. I just have a new form. So it's like, oh, it's immortality, man. So do you, let me ask you this, Martin, on, on the question of immortality and consciousness and, and things. Do you think that um, once you get to a certain point in an achievement and consciousness, then when the death, when that passageway and that doorway opens, that you're able to consciously, you're so, you've, you've gotten to the point of consciousness that you're consciously allowed to come back and not have been forgotten because it feels like the soul and the spirit when we get born we're, we're brought here a lot of spiritual talks say that we choose which body which family line we're going into but we forget and we're, we're just constantly riping off the the muck and remembering slowly but surely but do you think maybe immortality could be like coming back with your consciousness could be. All I can relate is my own experience, which I was talking a little bit about with Dan while you were trying to get back online. So my story goes like this, and I put it in my Memories Before Birth book. I remember being a consciousness above Earth. I was not on Earth, and I was fairly comfortable there. And I even talked to other consciousnesses, kind of my central spirit. But then for some reason, I felt that I needed to go back. And the other consciousness was telling me, no, you don't really need to do that. You've done enough. But I broke off a part of myself to send back to Earth. And this was, again, only a piece of my total spirit. And it went down and started looking for parents around upstate New York. And I found several parents who were going to have babies. And I looked at them as possible candidates. And I picked one set of parents, picked my mom. And I've heard from other people also that their children claimed that they picked their moms uh, when they were spirits. So I picked my mom, I got close to her, and I was drawn inside. Now, I think this must have been when she was only several months pregnant. Because then I remember being inside her and able to move around. And at some point my cord was choking me, so I turned around and I became 
later a breech birth, which means you're feet first instead of head first. But I remember think I could hear noises outside and things were okay and comfortable. And then things got smaller and smaller and smaller, which meant I was getting bigger and bigger. Until finally I kicked and to, because I was too compressed. That's when my mother's water broke. And then there was the whole process of being born. And I was yanked out by the doctor by my feet. And it was cold. It was really cold out there. And I thought I was breathing okay, but the doctor hit me a couple times on my bottom, which caused me to scream. And fluid came out of my lungs. And if, my first breath felt like breathing fire, okay? And then it, uh, it lessened. And so I remember that, that birth. And then I remember other events when I was very young, like a day or two later, when my parents took me home and the grandparents were all there, all four of them, and they were passing me around. And my one grandmother had really bony arms, which were bothering me, so I started crying. And the other grandmother said, here, you hold them like this. And she was a nurse, she knew how to hold babies. And so she put me back with the other grandma and I was quiet because I didn't want to make her feel bad. And she held me again. I remember lots of other events of my early childhood. Now, when I got to be around two years old, I was watching an old black and white TV. This is back in the 50s because I was born in 55. When there were only a few channels and they were all black and white. And I don't remember what I was watching, but I suddenly felt like I woke up. I woke up and I realized I was in a body and I was alive, I was conscious. It's like I had been in a dream for the previous couple of years. And from that point, I always felt like I had total consciousness. So maybe that helps answer some of the question is that we are spirits that come into this earth for different reasons. And some of us have some memories of that. And some people have, of course, memories going back to previous lives. I do not. But there's a continuity there. And we can acquire information from previous experiences. Like I remember as a baby, the reason I would cry because I couldn't talk and it was the way to get attention because I needed it. I was hungry. The baby to get it. Anyway, does that, that help elaborate a little bit on the question you asked? Yes, yes, absolutely. I um, had a similar experience, not necessarily similar in the sense that uh -oh. I remember. Oh, goodness. Again. Yet again. All right. Well, I'm going to stay. Uh, oh, I'm we here. We can hear you. Okay. Yeah. I've, I had a psychedelic experience when I was in my yeah. college days and um, I, I had my, um, I kind of like, kind of laid down on the ground and pass out but i laid down on the ground and i i remember shooting up to just right outside the atmosphere and i was butting around these other energies that were like this like really blue color and i was mm -hmm. just like whoa like where like where are we at and they're like 
you're here but you're down there and i was just like whoa and it was really comfortable it was very very comfortable and um you know it's been it's been 13 13 years since that time and i've kind of alluded it to like the the dream realm you know like what happens when uh when you get to leave your body consciously and i think that's what dreams are every night we get to we're taking a a ritual in the sense that like you know like and you go into rituals greatly in your book on druids by the way uh, i had a lot of really good mm-hmm. insight listening to that on how they did their rituals why and the importance of an opening ceremony and a closing ceremony and it made me think of sleep you know where yeah. we're, we're promoting or we're playing in a ritual that has been going on for so long that it's just genetically embedded into us that we know how to do the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony of sleep. And it's a beautiful blessing that we get to have. And we are in control of that. It's one of the, just like breath. It's a beautiful thing that we actually have tangible control of. Um, and, and yeah, that's, it's beautiful. I bet you've had some pretty lucid dreams. Yes, I have. And I think, we really travel astrally when we dream. We may not recall all of it, but that's where we have a lot of our experiences in different realms, different worlds, maybe different universes. And that's an area of astral travel, but I've had some enough experiences to know it really exists. And of course, some people have had wide astral travel, astral projections. That's another ability you can develop for yourself. And so, yeah, I've had some strange dreams. I remember one time, this is kind of a strange dream of maybe being in another world. I fell asleep on my bed in an unusual position, and I dreamt that I was in a world where all the houses and everything were on a hillside, which had was a very long hill. I don't know how long, but maybe hundreds of miles. And there were these strange cars that came up the hill <coughs> that had like hooks or something digging into the dirt to keep them on the hillside. And it was like something that we do not have here for sure but maybe another world would if it had that type of geography. And then I was inside the house, which was very clear. So I don't know, maybe I went to another realm then to visit that. That's super interesting. I mean, that's funny, you know, a lot of the depictions in science fiction and stuff of like what this uh, alternate timeline or what your other you looks like. It's like very similar, but just slightly different. Just just a little different. Yeah. So again, it goes back to the idea is that the universe we live in is actually a lot more mysterious than we ever thought. And we can't just ignore it and block it out and say that it's not real because then we're missing all the opportunities to grow spiritually and psychically and just from intellectual experience and the possibilities of what we can do. Most of us live very narrow lives. I mean, we only think about our families and maybe we are part of an organized religion and we watch sports, maybe occasionally politics. 
But there's a lot more to the universe than that. There's a lot more mystery. People need to be, open, again, open-minded. Be open-minded and look at these possibilities because they're probably part of a reality that we have not explored. I know I don't mean to be redundant, but I want people to think about that. I want That's that message to get message. out there. Very important message, uh, you know. That's the thing is, it's it's spiritual work is like like physical work, you know. If you want mm -hmm. to be strong and if you want to, you know, if you want your physical appearance to be what it is, then uh, you you have to keep going to the gym. If you want your spiritual body to and your light body and what have you to do the things, you need to you need to hear the messages again because it's very very easy practice. to forget things. Yeah, practice, practice. So so. Right. Don't feel redundant. Feel it's important, sir. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> Let's see. What and, else do you want to cover and, today? Uh, in your book, uh, like the of you did herbalism practices, rituals, and and whatnot. Um, I, I found some of the like practices of the Druidism to be pretty interesting. Can you? Uh, there was one about the salmon fish do you remember that one oh uh, boy you're really pushing me i don't remember that specifically um uh, well can you tell us about some of the practices that the druids had as far as like their their rituals and their ceremonies that they would perform and what they were kind of used for uh many people have this idea that druids are maybe somewhat evil or uh have this like uh you know they're evil magicians or something like that but when you look at like some of their practices and stuff and uh some of the uh ceremonies that they do they seem very peaceful and to be working with nature uh very well to uh accommodate some of the um beliefs that they have so could you go into a little yeah. bit sure i'm opening up one of my druid books right now so I think the, the important thing you used is nature. Important thing to talk about. They worshiped nature. And that's why they were so big on different festivals at different times of the year yeah. and trees and tree meditation. They're very big on that. So like you could talk about connecting with the spirits of the place. They connected with different tree consciousnesses. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but it's an interesting experience to like sit at the base of a sequoia or a redwood and imagine the consciousness of that tree that's thousands of years old. And if you can communicate with it, I've tried that. It's an interesting experience. So they had these rituals. In fact, they even had an alphabet, the Gallic tree alphabet about these different trees and what these trees could be used for. They could be used for healing or they could be used for purity, different things like that. So they had a strong connection to trees and herbs that were part of their practices. So we, we don't focus on that enough, but it was very much a nature-oriented religion. And it wasn't dealing with the devil or any all of that stuff. It was more about what is nature? In fact, one of the things, one of the subjects I got into with this guy's stealth was what are practices for possible immortality? And one of the practices he gave me 
and this is why I think he was real. He wasn't just a fake. He said that if you go into a grove of trees, older, the older the better, in the woods at night, maybe during a full moon, but it doesn't have to be, and you focus on the consciousness of the trees there, if you focus on the consciousness of those ancient beings and try to align your own spirit and consciousness with that, that will help you with your immortality. So he was very big on aligning with the trees, aligning with the tree consciousness and the effects that can have on you. So I don't how know do if that you, answers any of your question. How do you think uh, when he says align it with the trees, what does that mean to you? Like, so for somebody that is like, you know, maybe just getting into meditation and understanding how to like move their energy around. A lot of times in yoga, you know, you'll be in your Shavasana stage laying down and, um, or even other times it's, it's like, they're, they're asking you a lot to breathe into an area, breathe into your knee here. And you're like, breathe into my knee. How do I breathe, breathe into my knee? But it's, it's like a conscious breath of like moving the energy to that area. And so what does, what does that mean to you when, when he said something like align to the forest and to the trees? That's a good question. I look at the vital force is all one vital force, but it has different frequencies like the radio. And we can use different frequencies of that energy for different things. Like I can tell you, the energy that comes in through the crown chakra is one frequency versus the energy that comes in through my heart chakra is a different frequency and has different effects. So it's the same thing when you're talking about tree consciousness. You would want to, but by force of will, mm -hmm. move your vibrational rate to be closer to the frequency of the tree consciousness. That's how you communicate with them, and that's how you would take on a lot of the longevity attributes, according to stealth. So we can change our vital frequencies in different parts of our body and for different purposes, and it's mostly through force of will that we're able to do it. And that's also the nature of a lot of magic, which is taught by witches and druids. It's about matching frequencies with different things, whether it's rocks or trees or plants and the effects of those as a result. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like vi visualizing it in your mind and at least having the thought, like when you're sitting there to at least start thinking about it is the first step that you might be able to take to say, well, how am I going to do it? Well, maybe let's start by telling yourself it's time to, to do it, you know, and, and maybe asking, mm -hmm. uh, asking the forest how to do it just by having these thoughts, which might seem a little weird, you know, when you're starting to get into it, like, okay, I'm talking to something like, is anybody listening? Like I'm saying these things really hope to get an answer back. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. And like you said, um, uh, I, I work with a, a psychic clairvoyant human, uh, who actually is, is amazing. She's been on the show before Sabaya so garden. And one of the things that she kind of, uh, uh helps paint the picture for me is that the Speaking of the chakras, you know, a lot of time we think that we get uh, energy from our root chakra and it travels up and then outward. And I think that is true. I think there's a lot of grounding earth and energy that you get from the root chakra, but a lot of astral and etherical energy or what people call downloads come 
from your opening here and then it takes time mm -hmm. to process until it gets down to your throat when the throat is where you're able to actually start even slightly you've digested it just slightly enough to start talking about it and i think it's if you reverse that if you bring it up and out that might be a way to connect um with different alignments and frequencies of the earth yes i've had a lot of different experiences in my chakras of taking an energy and moving energy between chakras including my root chakra my uh, the top of my head chakra the crown chakra and also my heart chakra in fact one of my most spiritually enlightening experiences, in fact, I would call it an enlightenment experience, was when I did an exercise taught to me by a shaman called the heart rose exercise. And it was all about opening my heart chakra. And the result of that was I felt the physical sensation of heat coming into my heart, like I have through my head for many years. And as a result of that, I felt incredibly connected to everything around me and everybody. And the effect was dramatic. It lasted, it, it put me into a state of bliss that lasted for weeks until it became more subconscious. But it also changed me. It changed me socially. So I will tell you that up until that point, and this happened about 10 years ago, I was one of these guys, and a lot of women are this way too, that felt I had a hole in my soul, that I needed a partner. I needed to have a partner to help fill that hole. You know, you know what I'm talking about? A lot of people feel that way. They need a relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, after this experience and this energy came into me and I had this connections automatically with the environment and people around me, that whole feeling went away. I've never, and since my, that in my life, felt that I had to have a relationship. I'm divorced and I will still date, but I've, I've never felt since then that I need a relationship to feel happy, to feel comfortable. It's all about having that energy connection with my environment, with the people around me. And people have treated me differently too. It's amazing. So the things you can do with chakras in manipulating these vital forces and manipulating different frequencies have lots of effects on us and how we live in our world. It's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. I wouldn't have believed a lot of these things when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But yeah. having had the experiences I've, I've had, uh, it just opens up, makes the world a much more interesting and happy place for me. Yeah, I, um, you know, it sounds like a hole is like, you know, all, all of you is there. There is no hole, but maybe, you know, where there's an energetic spot, just kind of like how you imagine magnet file iron filings around a magnet creates that like hole there there's a lot of energy there mm -hmm. um but you know you gotta switch the poles or get get them going on alignment you know get get them aligned up so all the poles are facing the way they need to because I, uh, yoga changed my life it absolutely changed my life mm -hmm. i tell this all the time to people like i was never somebody i was somebody who would make fun of yoga you know like when i was right. more ignorant to it but when it when it actually went it did something to my body and to my mind and to my spirit and which is undeniable. It's why I am going to get my training and that's why I'm going to be, have it be a part of my practice for the rest of my life. Um, and mm -hmm. I feel like after I do a practice, after I go to a class and I do breathing and all the things, 
I need less in general afterwards. Maybe a little food. I won't lie. You know, you get a little hungry, but even you can curb the feeling of hunger. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and so it's like you feel like you got a hole in your stomach when you're so hungry. I'm so fucking hungry. I got a hole in my stomach, you know. But um, so I agree, man. I agree. And it's beautiful just to hear it coming, uh, especially, you know, I think men talking about this in general is a really important thing in today's society um you know being able to get down to the root because we you know like most common american guy talking about chakras he you know you're gonna get the cold shoulder a lot of times like yeah whatever um but it is right. it's absolutely beautiful and a lot of times in ancient india they said that the yoga was created for the male body actually that the male body is incredibly flexible um you know and so i really highly encourage a lot of men to to really break down and try it because then they're going to touch so much deeper into their emotional side it's going to ch it's going to change uh the way the way that we think as a society and um, you have a beautiful message and yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you for thanks for sharing that roman that's pretty cool now uh, my view on religion in general i'll, I'll mention because i was raised as a presbyterian and a methodist up until my late teens, when I started getting into a lot more of these Eastern religions and practices, I really think all, re all major religions are important because they expose people to a spiritual nature. But what happens with a lot of them, especially the older ones, is they've got so much human dogma that they obscure the spiritual truths. So in many traditional religions like Christianity, you really have to dig down to get at the deeper spiritual truths. And there are like saints that are recorded as having many spiritual abilities because they became much more enlightened mm -hmm. through their deep prayer and meditation. But generally, I think the most direct path is through the things we're talking about of meditation. And so I, again, I, I think all religions are important and critical to the world, but to be a true seeker, you need to look beneath the surface and have an inquiring mind and not accept just what people tell you, but find out for yourself. That was one of the decisions I made as a young man is that I was not gonna just accept what I was told is the truth, but I wanted to explore it for myself. So that's why I looked into different religions and mysticisms and philosophies and experiences, which I felt brought me to much deeper truths about who we are as spiritual beings. Oof. Yes. Yes. More of that. All of that. <laughs> um, so we are. Wait, uh, a... oh, go ahead, sir. Sorry, 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 sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think you're where I'm at. Yeah. I was just say we're winding down. We're hitting that two hour mark. Um, okay. You know, maybe get some final questions out here. Final messages for the people. Um, for me, uh, I really loved the part in your druids book where you were um going into good detail about the herbs you're pulling up some incredible findings mm -hmm. that you had about some of the sacred herbs and it's really cool because a lot of the sacred herbs to the druids are like herbs you can actually find in the grocery store that are part of uh of everyday cooking and um i, I was i wanted to ask you you know what are some herbs that you deal with in your life are there any uh plants that you've started to take away from from your findings and research and had any spiritual uh components to some of these plants yeah i was i'm big on uh herbs that have to do with longevity and 
you know, excuse me, my memory is getting a little bad, but I'm, there's this, this root that's used a lot in Eastern you know, Chinese practices, uh, ginseng. Ginseng is very popular for longevity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's other, there's other things like astrologus, and uh, there are also, I wrote a whole book about uh, longevity foods. In fact, let me go to that if you don't mind just to prompt my memory. 140 books, people. <laughs> Prolific. All right, let's see here. Okay, longevity foods, diets, and supplements. And I wrote about several things. Okay, so goji berries. You can buy goji berries in your uh, high-end grocery stores. Goji berries have a lot of health benefits for people. Astrologous ginger, ginger root has a lot of longevity and health benefits. Uh, yes. Turmeric is a, is a popular one. And faux tea is popular. So these are, all, these are all different herbs that we can take that help us with our health. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lai Ching Yang. Lai Ching Yang was a Chinaman who died in the 1930s, according to the New York Times, who lived to be 256 years old. Some people say he was only a little over 200. But he actually met the emperor of China. He had something like 25 wives over time, 100-plus children. Nice. And he spent his first 100 years as an herbalist. And oh, one of the, some of the foods he, he would eat every day were ginseng and faux tea and astrologus. These are supplements that he took to help his longevity. Astrologus. So these, these practices go back, go back hundreds of years. Astralgaius, A-U-S-T-R-A-G-A-L-U-S. These are some of the herbs that people use. But I think the most popular one is ginseng, and, and I've taken that. And there's even different brands of ginseng. It gets pretty detailed. But, uh, yeah, there's foods you can take which will help your long-term health and longevity, too. So that those are, you know, the, the herbs that were used by the Druids, a lot of them were for healing, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were to provide mental stability and... So it's an evolving thing that ancient cultures have provided a lot of this information today. Yeah. For instance, we know that willow, willow tree bark mm -hmm. was used to synthesize aspirin. And there's a lot of things like that that come from ancient cultures that are now used in modern medicine. What, but there's what a lot more out there. Uh, one interesting thing you said about the willow tree uh, in your Druid book was that they tend to grow on old grave sites or around where burial sites were, were at. I thought that was, that kind of blew my mind. Okay. I, I don't remember that, but that's cool. <laughs> um, now they were very big on trees and that the, I have a whole section in there about different trees and what they can be used for. I think it's pretty cool because yeah, the, the trees, there's more to 
the health from nature that we can get than just herbs. Mm -hmm. Trees provide a lot for us too. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for people yeah. to like think about how and why we have the diet we have today, how it might not be the, how it might be delicious, but it might not be the most functional in the sense that like mm -hmm. there's certain teas and herbs that you can, and plants and fruits and like interesting things that the earth provides that makes your body like just naturally want to eat less or, or things like that, you know, that make you feel full or they make you feel something in your head. And um, I think it's really important to, to practice these things, to see what works for your body. Uh, and tinctures are amazing too. So yeah, I, I really appreciate that part of your book. And uh, yes, Dan, please, please go, sir. I know you've been trying to uh, ask a question. I'm sorry. No, you're good. No, uh, I agree. Yeah. I liked uh, uh, the, the herb section too and uh some of the uh rituals and stuff that they did uh was pretty fascinating to me i think there was one that i recall with a hawthorn uh it, it was like i think a saint stuck a hawthorn in in the ground and then uh mm -hmm. when he pulled it out like hawthorn started to grow there because even though it didn't like leave any remnant it's still like something can be found near sacred sacred wells in england and wales yeah yeah so it is an interesting story i i recommend uh reading the books or listening to the books uh roman connected me with the pdfs and there's a pdf reader so i was able to uh pop them into the pdf reader and have them read to me which is great for my work uh i listen to stuff all day i don't have time cool. to read all the time so uh yeah, I thought there was a lot of interesting, good material in there. Uh, I was really interested in um, the the herbalism and stuff, uh, and the practice well, of the ritual. By the way, I, and why I, why they did those things uh, was quite fascinating. You know. By the way, I do have all my books in electronic form, printed form, and audiobooks because I know audiobooks are very popular and growing. Oh, fast. you do have them audio. Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that's the best yeah. way for you, uh, a lot of us, man. Where a lot of us are auditory, uh, I find that right. you should you should do both. I feel like you should definitely do both if you want to have all the the yeah. informational input. You got to do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, read, if you have me back, I'd like me. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if you reading. have me back, I'd like to talk more about longevity and immortality and my paranormal experiences in prophecy yeah. and premonitions and more. Uh, those are oh, some, be fantastic. Uh, things I think I've had a lot of experiences with those and interesting, my, an my analytical perspective about those experiences. Yeah. The, I'm super I was down. just going to say me, me reading the book helps me actually retain the information a bit more uh, <laughs> listening to it. I kind of hear it and I, I think of things and, unless i write it down certain things i don't really retain it as well as right. reading the physical right. copy uh so so and to actually see the words uh how they're spelled and pronounced is a uh, another thing that's that's great with reading and then listening also you can hear pronunciation 
where you might and sometimes sometimes it helps a lot to see the pictures to help you visualize things yes which, yeah. which you can't do with an audiobook right so. yeah yeah uh but one more time uh tell the people where they can find your books at and anything else you have any uh going on in the world and uh, okay. anything else you want to share with the people thank you again my website called mkeddingtonbooks.com is spelled m-k-e-t-t-i-n-g-t-o-n-b-o-o-k-s.com and on the home page i've got like uh 13 or 14 different categories of books going like paranormal longevity spirituality ancient history living in space and then when you go into one of those categories then it had i have videos about the category and videos for most of the books and then you can see the type, the covers, and you go into a page about each book where I have uh, so many of them in a video and then what the book is all about and the table of contents. And then at the bottom, the different ways you can order it. Uh, ebooks, printed books, whether it's a black and white or color interior, and audiobooks and also PDFs. So it's a lot of work for me to do this, but it's a labor of love because I just love putting all these books out there and and categorizing them and making them available to people. So it, I hope I'm providing a service to people by doing this. And I think oh, you'll sure. find a lot of material on my website that you would not normally find. And obviously you can search for these topics on Amazon, but many people may not know what to search for on Amazon. And you'll find this just going through my website in the different categories as to what the topics are that are covered. And many of them, will spur a lot of questions and curiosity in your minds about the things, the world we live in. Thank you. We love, we love that around here. Uh, we, we talk about herbalism, spirituality, ancient history, uh, esotericism, uh, many of those different topics, aliens, uh, intuitiveness, uh, mm -hmm. witchcraft, spirituality, all those religion, uh, so we love that around here and, uh, cool. yeah, uh, we have, we try to do the same thing and, and just to try to help each other and teach other people about what the world is around us, uh, because, uh, it's so vast and huge. Um, it's great to hear stories, especially coming from the sources. So, uh, you know, cause me and Roman could sit here and chatter all day about topics, but it's great to have somebody on the show that we can talk to that has uh, uh, a very good um, catalog of the things that they have done research on already. So it saves us a little bit of time. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dan and Roman. I've really enjoyed being with you this afternoon. I appreciate that and the discussion Thanks, and all your questions too. Very, very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank Beautiful. you. Uh, and uh, thank you, Fire Tribe, for listening. And if you're not down with that, wake, wake up. up.